There's a podcast that sure all the rock's heart is gold and they're climbing the stairway to eleven when they get there they know the record stores have all closed but online they can get what they came Welcome back to Stairway to Eleven. We are on episode seven. My name is George. I'm John. And I'm TR. So episode seven, before we get started, we have social media sites, Facebook, Instagram. If you do follow us on those, please comment on anything we post. We'd love to hear from you. I think we all would like to hear what people think of the bands and albums we're choosing and if there's a band you think we might be interested in covering send them our way because while there are hundreds of albums i can choose from i don't know about you guys i'm not gonna lie i struggle every way like what am i gonna do this week yeah and i've got 50 albums i'm looking at and it's kind of like my collection you can't see here i've got three or four thousand cds behind me and all my vinyl on the floor and i'm like i've got all this music and i literally have nothing to listen to today Mm. Yeah, I don't know if you guys get like that. <laughs> oh yeah, I get like that with choosing. I've got five or six albums. These are definites, and I'm like, oh man, what am I going to do? So, <laughs> if you have suggestions, forward them our way. Please let us know if there's any bands that you would like to hear us cover that we might like. Yeah, you know, I always every episode I think ahead of time about what I want to cover for the next episode. And then after we're done recording an episode, that's when the three of us sit here and decide the next episode. And it's never what I thought it was going to be. So (laughs) yeah, (laughs) it makes planning kind of pointless. I think only two so far for me. Yeah. Yeah. Everything else has been like, all right, TR, what what am I going to go with? (laughs) Yeah. When you stole fair warning, I had to, had to go to plan B. Well, that was a terrible (laughs) pick TR. Uh, Oh my goodness. That damn Genesis. Yeah. All right. We've got three more albums for you today. And we're going to start with mine, which is Def Leppard's Pyromania. Start a fire. Released on January 20th, 1983, over 40 years ago. This was Def Leppard's third album. This was the first album to feature guitarist Phil Collin in a partial capacity anyway. While the band had some success with their first two albums, particularly with bringing down the heartbreak from their second album, High and Dry, uh, it wasn't until Pyromania that Def Leppard broke through in a huge way. The album would spawn seven singles on its way to eventual diamond sales status. And I still remember little George, the first time he heard Foolin' on the little radio in the kitchen by the sink while doing dishes. And being blown away. I remember the first time I saw the album in a store, it was uh, a Kmart, actually. I was gazing through the glass case, because they locked that stuff up back then, at the awesome band logo, the off-spelling of their name, and uh, the sense of danger portrayed by the crosshairs in the burning building. I just knew that this had to be a cool album. 
when I finally got my greedy little hands on a cassette copy, my suspicion was confirmed. Pyromania kicked ass. I mean, come on. Ten songs on the album, and seven were singles. That's the same number as released from Michael Jackson's Thriller. And there's no filler on this baby. <laughs> that the same, not to cut you off, is that the same as Hysteria? How many singles from that? I think they had at least seven, didn't they? Let's... Only reason head I head to the that, Wikipedia machine. Yeah. <laughs> the reason that I might be that up, for another episode. Not to interrupt, but to think about that. Back-to-back albums with at least seven singles. Yeah. That's insane. There were seven. That's insane. Yep. Animal, Women, Pour Some Sugar on Me, Hysteria, Armageddon, It Love Bites, and Rocket. Wow. That is insane. Wow. Back-to-back sevens. That's even better than Michael Jackson. Boom. So in yeah. my humble opinion, this is yeah, probably yeah. in the top 10 greatest rock albums of the 80s. It's in my DNA. DNA. Is this one of your, like, if you had to pick your... Desert Island picks? 50, yeah, I love Desert Island. Desert. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean... Cool. You know, awesome. for something in this vein, it's... Oh, of course. Yeah, because your Desert Island discs, you kind of try to get everything, every type of music, you know, at least I do. Yeah. Nice. Wow. This is a big one. Go for it. Do you have so, any? Sorry. Yeah. So I, you know, overall, like uh, you know, the funny thing is, is I didn't really get into Def Leppard when this came out. Of course you couldn't avoid it because you know, it was everywhere. It was. I like the songs enough, but I'm just not sure why I didn't make the leap to buying this record at the time. Of course, what? I have it now, of course, but like at the time, I don't know why I didn't buy this album. I'm going to stop you right now, TR. Okay. George, you're a little bit younger. Not much, but a little bit younger. TR is two weeks older than me. Okay. Were you not into High and Dry when that came out? I loved High and Dry when it came out. Yeah, I, I thought it was. Yeah. So, okay. So okay, here's so the thing. Like you were, on, I, you were on board at least before this came out. Oh, yeah. It, okay. It's just that I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I can't really explain it because by all rights, I should have owned this album when, it, you know, in 1983. I, I don't know why I didn't. So all the videos from this period were live performance style with varying degrees of storytelling or other imagery. And I can tell you, I definitely wanted British flag boxer shorts after <laughs> seeing these videos. <laughs> I think I might know somebody that had those. I actually, so I did, but when I, so I can't remember if like my parents got them for me or if I found them someplace, but they weren't the same as his. Like when you looked at who's the drummer, Rick Allen. Rick Allen yeah. yeah. So when you looked at his, the whole boxer short was like a flag. Uh-huh. And the ones I ended up with were like partially, it was like a small flag on this. It was like, <laughs> it was such a bogus pair of boxer shorts like when I'm i'm gonna got, say like, you got a cheap knockoff from another yeah, country I think so because it was bogus and i just remember like being like getting them i can't remember if i bought them myself or if my parents got it i, I can't remember like what the deal was but you I, it I just from the remember, guy down the street up from the yeah, venue selling no, it no, it's like i'm sure it was like at the <laughs> record store or someplace but <laughs> but like worse yeah, i know and and so <laughs> so so i mean i remember because the way it was packaged it looked like nothing but flag, but the minute you opened it up, and of course you had to buy it to open it up, then it was like, oh, there's all this like kind of white around it. You know, there's a flag on just, your bum. Yeah, exactly. It was like, 
what the heck? Like, I wanted the whole thing to be the flag, not, you know, a little part of the flag, and then the rest is just white boxers, you know? Uh-huh. So and I was a little disappointed with that. That's so, lame. I, I know. And it was like, it was kind of devastating at the time, but I, I got over it. I've got a lot of trust issues from buying musical things in the 80s. <laughs> you know, that's the thing. You know, back then, you couldn't just go on YouTube and check it out ahead of time. Exactly. You know, you, 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 all you knew was like what got played on the radio. And, you know, I think like at the time, so, you know, your six ninety nine or seven ninety nine for your record, you know, that was like, okay, that's hard earned money. So mm-hmm. you wanted to make sure, or at least I did, I wanted to know, okay, am I getting into like an album that I'm going to like, like most of the songs on it. And you know, if you heard all these tracks on the radio, it's like, yeah, I know I like, like at least five of these tunes, it's going to be really good. So I'm going to get this, you know, mm-hmm. but yeah, that was the thing back then. You didn't know what you were getting because you couldn't like, like nowadays yeah. you can listen to an album the minute it drops and you can know the whole thing and you can listen to the whole thing and be like, okay, yeah, I like this or I don't like this or whatever. And I don't know, you know, back then it was like <laughs> album covers. Kinda, yeah. It was the album cover and your buddy got it and he's like, dude, this is really great. You got to check this out. And then you'd go and get it and you know, whatever, but yeah, yeah, it's a whole different world now, which is, I mean, it's great because you can check stuff out, but there was also a little bit of mystery involved back then. There was some discovery cause you went and got it and you went and listened to it and you know, you discovered for yourself what the album was about and kids so that, these days they I don't know anything know. about finding <laughs> music get they get all the music handed to them on a silver spotify and back when i was a kid we had to actually buy the music to hear it <laughs> that's right and and not only that but we had to wait until we got home yeah. <laughs> that's right Kids, these are all true stories these until i got a walkman and then i could listen this, to the car. this wow. really happened <laughs> yes or you had to sit there and wait for your FM station to play that song again. That's right. Yep. Do you ever used to call up the radio station and make requests? I used to do that all the time as a kid. Yes. Yes. <laughs> hey, can you play that really cool song from Death Leopard? <laughs> yeah. I remember requesting Abracadabra by Steve Miller. Ooh. Eye of the Tiger by Survivor. <laughs> yeah. Really? Yeah. Those are the two I remember most. <laughs> nice. I think probably some sticks. Yeah. Stuff like yeah. that. Mr. Right. Roboto. Exactly. <laughs> Love that thing. That was my very first musical purchase was Sticks, Mr. Roboto. Oh, wow. Or Kilroy was here, I guess it was called. Yeah. Yeah. Been all downhill since then. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> all right, John, what are your thoughts on this album? Let's see. I'll try to keep it quick. I already knew about Def Leppard because of High and Dry. I remember the summer before I came back to school, I remember hearing Let It Go and all the songs and was a fan then. And that was 1981. So when this came out, I was already a fan of both albums. And I loved it, of course. I thought it was great. I have a different opinion of the album now, 40 years later. Uh But we'll stay here for now and I'll, I'll let that come out as we go through the songs. Real quick, I actually saw them on this tour. September 1983, with my friend Derek Pennett Jones, we went. I think his mom dropped us off at the Oakland Coliseum, that place you know where Dave said I got myself a brand new Oakland <laughs> scarf. That's right, we saw oh, him. Yeah, she dropped us off, 
15 years old, we walked in and it wow. was just insane. I stood in front of Phil Collin the whole night, about maybe not even 10 feet from the rail. Wow. Those were GA shows back then. So it was just crazy. And I do know someone who bought the Union Jack shorts and they were full Union Jack shorts from the front <laughs> to back, top to bottom. Of course uh, I know him. He's me. It was me. <laughs> yes. The Obi-Wan. Hoping somebody would Devastated. have been, would have done Obi-Wan for me. Yes. I had them. They didn't fit for long. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm, yeah, we'll just leave it at that. I have other comments about it, but I, I love this album. It was great to revisit it again. There are some songs on here that are like Stairway to Heaven to me now, and that's because they've been overplayed in yeah. all formats. But it still was cool to go back and listen to them again. And so we'll just I won't say much. Let's let's roll let's, into it. Let's do this. Let's rock rock till you yeah. drop. Track one. The grandiose start of this song lets you know you're about to head on a grand adventure. And then the riff kicks in and it rips. Seven of the ten songs of the album were released as singles. And I'm not sure why this wasn't one of them. It's a true rocker. Probably one of the last real headbanging songs before they entered the hysteria period. Too loud, man. Too loud. <laughs> I absolutely love This is one of my favorite songs from their whole catalog. And their whole catalog for me is three and a half albums. But still, <laughs> yeah. I absolutely love this song. I will. Uh, I should have just said it in my intro, but I'll say it now. There are two things about this album I absolutely hate. I hate the sound that Mutt Lang created starting with this album because it carried forward onto Hysteria. And it's a very loud sound. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I, they had the graded reverb on the drums. Uh -huh. Yeah, I could deal with the gang singing because they've been doing that since their first album. But I just, ugh, it's very mid-80s, the sound. Yeah. And so you get that right off the bat with Rock Rock till you drop. But that's okay. Because like George said, it's an absolute banger. It's got a killer chorus to sing. I don't usually care about lyrics that much. I sing this song. I love that Elliot's vocals remind me of the first two albums. They're a little rougher on this song, uh -huh. which is yeah. so cool. Uh, and if I remember correctly, hold on, let me get out my disc that's got the live show on it. Oh, that's right. Oh. They opened up with it, and mm -hmm. it just blew my mind seeing them open up with that. <laughs> Great nice. opening track. One of my maybe one of my favorite opening tracks uh, from just a straight rock album. Definitely, I think. Yeah, one you of, know that was one of my comments. Is excellent opening track for an album. Like uh -huh. just to kick it off, boom! Here it is. It's a rock and riff. A great solo. It, it, you know, just a great tune. Yeah, I, I've never seen them. I've thought about it in more recent years because they've done some decent like pairings. I mean, I think they did some poison stuff, which I, I wasn't thrilled about mm -hmm. that, but I thought they did a tour with somebody that Kiss. was like, was kiss. Yeah. Okay. I that, saw them with Jen and I saw them with kiss. Yeah. I would have done that. So I've seen them twice. The first time was in 1983 mm -hmm. way back when there was icicles <laughs> on my FM radio <laughs> and they opened up with rock, rock till you drop. I see them with kiss with Jen and they opened up with let it go. I was just like, yes. Oh man. <laughs> wow. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Look out for the rock brigade. Rock oh, brigade. Man. Hold on. That was the second song on the 1983 tour. Ooh. So right. the Well, we'll get, all right, fine. The third song was high and dry. <laughs> I literally was in heaven at that yeah. show. Oh uh, <laughs> yeah. So. All right. Track number two, Photograph. 
one of the greatest hard rock songs of all time in my book. And it was only a few hours ago. Sorry. It was only a few years ago <laughs> that I found out that this one was about Marilyn Monroe. Makes, oh, you didn't know? Did I didn't you know. Did you see the video? Yeah. Uh, no, I, I didn't. When this was out, I didn't have MTV. It wasn't until later. Oh, so yeah. oh, okay, but it, this was on every yes hour. Every, yeah, <laughs> they played the crap out of this it, every hour. It yeah. makes sense. It's kind of the pictures of Lily for the eighties. Mm-hmm. And of those seven singles, this was definitely in my top three, if not number one. The song is catchy as hell. And hearing this, I really wish someone would do a high-res remaster of this album. I'm looking at you, Stephen Wilson. It sounds great <laughs> as is, but imagine with more clarity and punch. The guitar playing on this album is just perfect. It's still got the hard rock bite to it, which, you know, eventually takes a back seat on the next album, kind of. So, oh, I'll go again. I didn't want to uh, cut you off there, too. Everyone to talk about this. Yeah, it, this is a song that I'm tired of hearing, but I don't get tired of hearing it. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and so TR's heard me do this, say this every time. I'm gonna make a connect. I'm gonna make an odd connection. I've oh, never done that. Okay, here we I'm go. I'm gonna connect Def Leppard and Opeth together. I love connection. What? Every time we've gone to see Opeth and say the last, I, hate, I really hate to say this, but last ten years. Yeah. What is the one song I'm like, I always say, geez, I hope I they don't play tonight. And as soon as it starts, I'm like, this is the greatest song Deliverance, ever. Deliverance, baby. D- Deliverance. Every time, oh, God. Yeah. It's like, do we have to hear this again? And then when they start playing it, it's, oh, yes, this is so good. <laughs> he looks over and I'm like, dude, my old man headbang until <laughs> right. my neck stiffens up. Right. And so that's photographed for me. Especially at the end, man. And um, I will say, I can say this because I've seen this. I've seen that song played probably yeah 40 plus times live um so i feel that way about (laughs) photograph i'm like oh there it starts again and then once the cowbell comes in it's just this is the greatest song ever that's so funny because i wrote excellent use of cowbell (laughs) i will say i find it for those who don't know we talked about phil collin being on guitar but the original guitarist pete willis who got kicked out of the band during this period plays on all this he plays rhythm on all the songs but he's a co-writer on this song so I thought that was interesting when you consider how different this song was from their first two albums. Uh-huh. Imagine how much drugs and beer you would have to drink to get kicked out of Def Leppard. I think it was because of his drinking, yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's if, if you bad. can drink more than Steve Clark, you probably should be kicked <laughs> yeah, out of the band. You might be, be you might be dead. Well, that tells me there's more to that story because well, you bring up a good point, George. S- Steve Clark had a hard he had a hard time. He died from alcohol poisoning. He did. Yeah. Really sad because they tried. But anyway. Yeah, they did. They tried with them. And it just, it, so I'm actually really happy I got to see them with both Steve Clark and Rick Allen with both arms. And I'm not making light of that. I was I mean, no, no, a drummer I mean, and I always liked cool, his right. power drumming. Yeah, it was hey, cool to see him. You yeah. know, it, it was mind boggling and amazing when Rick Allen was able to come back from that and, and continue to play with the band. That was you know, talk oh, about yeah. a, talk about a you know movie like, of the week kind of story. It's like, oh hell yeah, yeah unbelievable fortitude. Hey, and kudos to the band for saying we'll just give him a try. We know we need to get another drummer, but he's our friend. And then he pulls it off, and they're like, we don't want another drummer. Yeah, exactly. Kudos to them. I mean, that's that. pretty amazing. And then you know him, essentially leveraging technology to be able to do mm-hmm. what you know. It's incredible. Like just. <laughs> That couldn't have happened any other time 
in history, right? You know, any time earlier than that, yeah. I don't think you could have done anything like that, you know, without electronic assistance or, you know, triggering or some of the other things that would have enabled you to be able to use other limbs to trigger different parts of those drum parts. Great. Yeah. Now uh, that I actually know how to, how drum, I, I can't say I know how to play drums. I know how drum playing works. I've never really thought about it until now. I'm like, how do you do a drum roll? You know, it's like you can do a kick snare, no problem with one, one, one yeah. arm and one leg. And, you know, so you got to figure out the hi-hat somehow. His snare is on his foot. His snare was on yeah. his foot. Nice. Mm-hmm. Because he's playing his hand on his ride and his uh, hi-hat. Okay. Mm. So he has to use his one foot to do his fills. Interesting. That's cool. That's some dedication there. And that just even well, more it's rewire, And it's rewiring your brain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As you know, exactly. from, from playing drums. Tiara, I don't know if you play drums at all or ever. Played. Yeah, I can't. But George, you know, <laughs> can't even keep a beat. And I, I haven't, I haven't played in a gazillion years. But you have to rewire how you do rhythm because it's really easy to, yeah, get off rhythm really fast. Mm-hmm. And, it, and I'm, so, I'm really good at that. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so, yeah. great, great so, so, second yeah. track. And I'm glad it was yeah. the opening track. I'm glad it was second at, at minimum. So uh-huh. yeah, I agree. And you know, this was played on the radio and MTV incessantly. Uh, I mean, great tune. It reminds me, for, for whatever reason, this song reminds me of Summer, even though this album was released in January of 1983, and I don't even know really when this single came out, but it just reminds me of Summertime. And it kind of makes me feel nostalgic because whenever I listen to this song, I think of the video and I think about, you know, basically being, you know, a young teenager you know, standing in front of MTV watching this and mm-hmm. thinking, wow, this is really cool. You know, yeah, I, <laughs> it's like, it takes me back. Like I just listen to this and think, wow, you know, I remember being a kind of a young kid, just like looking at this stuff and thinking, man, these guys look really cool. You know, <laughs> they were so cool. Yeah. It's, you know, hair metal wasn't really a thing yet. This was still just hard rock music. Yes. You know, we were another couple of years from Theater of Pain and, and the the advent of true glam metal. Um, Downfall. And so it was just, you know, I mean, they were a lot of denim and hairspray and whatever, but still, it was cool. so cool. Yeah. Remember the painter's hats? I had those. Yeah. I, I, I love painter's hats. I, I In fact, if I dug around a little bit, I think I could find one in my house. I remember seeing people wearing like Def Leppard painter's hats. And I was like, oh. <laughs> I, I, remember, a, I had a journey painter's hat. <laughs> I had one, but I don't remember what it was. I remember I had a, <coughs> I remember going to these stores in the mall where you could just buy stuff, <laughs> yeah, you know? Exactly. The painter's hats. And I got a Black Sabbath Velcro wallet. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I think mine was like a palm tree mm. in my wallet. My friend had my friend had the Joe Elliott the Union Jack shirt. Oh man. He wore it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I think his dad was actually from England, which made even more sense too. Because oh, yeah. his mom was from Texas, but his her, his dad was from England. So mm. so funny. All right. Track three, stage fright. This is the second of three songs not released as a single. I like how I'm going in the opposite direction. Usually I say, this is the second song. Or this is the second of three songs not released as a single because it's easier to go that way. And I, I can see why. It's kind of a rager for these guys. It's got good hooks and melody, but the riffs are probably just a bit much for AOR of the 80s. 
Joe's vocals are wild. The riffs are cool. That said, it's still probably my least favorite song in an album where every song is classic. Like, Mm. I'm not saying it's a bad song. I'm saying if I rank them all, everything's probably above this one. That's not meant to be. Yeah. It's still a great song. I love it. Yeah. So on record, stop looking at me that way. No, it's all right. Cause actually, you know, it's not my favorite either, (laughs) but I, my favorite part of this is the, the guitar solo though. I will say that. I think this might be John's favorite song. Oh, Uh-oh. no. Not even close. <laughs> oh, all right. Okay, I just think it's real. I, I think it's not my least favorite on the album. Uh, the reason why I like this song so much is because it is the only song on the album that sounds like it could have been on the first two albums. I was thinking that too. Yeah. And that probably is what it stands out. There's no doubt it's not a sore thumb at all, but it definitely stands out in the crowd on this album because it is a raging song. It's heavy. I actually, I think it's actually a heavier song than Rock Rock Till You Drop. I think Rock Rock Till You Drop has uh-huh. heavier production. Yeah. That makes it sound heavier. But the, they're the two heaviest songs on the album. But the difference is one sounds like it should be on Pyromania. And the other sounds like it should be on the first album for the most part. Yeah. So, yeah, I love it. It's a great hard rocking song. But it's not my go-to song. No, I agree. Yeah. Track four, Too Late for Love. Slowing things down a bit. An air of mystery, a bit ominous. Back in the mm-hmm. early 80s when this was new, I knew a guy that enthusiastically showed me how he could replicate the drums coming in. Like when there's all this stuff going on and then, you know, there's the... And he's like, he could replicate that by snapping an open garbage bag to make the drum snap. He would take the bag and go, you know... And he was like, it sounds just like it. And I never quite got it, but that has spent 40 years rattling around in my head. I release you. Anyway. You've you've just, you know, equated the beginning of this song to a trash bag. I know. I I was like, you're insane, man, but whatever, you know. And it's those insane things that stick out in your memory. So anyway, this, this song is another classic. You know, who wrote songs like this? I don't know. This is just very unique to me from this period. And when I was listening to this, I was just missing Steve Clark. So, yeah, I agree. I love that they slow down the album at this point, not necessarily slow it down, but they bring the pace down, the tempo down. It reminds me a little bit of bringing on the heartbreak in terms of the, the, in terms of the drive and the vibe of it. Yep. But it obviously is their new sound. And I agree with you, George. I love the dark feel. And I almost like this kind of semi-old West guitar tones yeah. a little bit at the beginning. It's yeah. It just feels like the video should have been... Heading into know, town, and, you know. Yeah. No, hold on. The man with no name. It's the 80s. Videos are new. So the first thing we have to start with is you have to show a desert scene. And you're... Yep. You know, and a little tumbleweed comes by yeah. and the door from the, the abandoned yeah. barn is opening and closing in the wind. Yes. And then the guitar tone starts. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's a great song. It's one of my favorite off the album. Awesome. Yeah. yeah same thing. I, a rock and ballad along the lines of bringing on the heartbreak. And this is one of my favorites on the album. I thought it had more of an older sound. I like, but I like high and dry a little more. Oh, I agree. And you know, it's funny. You mentioned ballad. Yeah, I agree with you, but it's not a ballady ballad, if that makes sense. It's oh more, yeah, no, it's I more, would agree. Like it because it's so not a yeah. hair metal ballad that comes out 
four no, years later. No, absolutely not. And it actually, I feel like, yeah, because it's more of a, it's kind of rocking. It's it rocks a little more than a ballad. Like to me, it's, I don't know, it's really well done, and it doesn't feel like a ballad, because I mean, it's slower. It's a slower tune, but it's not like. I mean, yeah, it's about love, but it's it's too late for love. You know what I mean? It's just it's not like lovey dovey, you know, in terms yeah, you of being up, about dude. it. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's too late, man. I'm so, on my way out of town. You had your chance. Yeah. That's but it. I gotta Sleep hit the road, the babe. <laughs> yeah. I, I really like the dark overtones on this song mm-hmm. because they're not known for that necessarily. Yeah. yeah. So all right, track five, Die Hard the Hunter. The third and final song not released as a single. And this is one of the darker songs on the album. You're just talking about darker, but this is definitely yeah. darker. 1983 was still very recent to the end of the Vietnam conflict. And like other songs by Manowar and Huey Lewis, this song tackles what would likely today be called PTSD, experienced by a soldier back home and trying to adjust to life after the horrors of war. Shush, Siri, shush. It's a heavy topic and a rockin' song. Yeah. So this song opens with warlike sounds, right? Helicopters, sirens. And I felt like this was, if you will, the most mature song on the album. And actually, you raise a good point, George. Like this, you know, there, there were a number of artists that were kind of addressing this topic of you know, people coming back from Vietnam. And and actually, it reminded me of Sammy Hagar's Remember the Heroes, at least thematically. Um, and this is the longest song on the album. It's got a lot of cool riffs and guitar work in the middle of the song. I like this tune. Yeah. Yeah. It, and it's, a, it's definitely a deep cut. If you're a fan, you know it. If you're not, if you're there for the hits, this is probably something you wouldn't gravitate to. I, I think it's a great tune. It to me, it had a feel of high and dry a little bit in some of it, but again, it has the pyromania production. There are some cool keyboard work on this and synth work by Booker T. Bofin. I don't know if you guys know who that is. I do. AKA Thomas Dolby. She blinded oh. me with science. Science. Yeah. Which I think is actually very cool. I really like that kind of the uh, mid part of the song where the instrumental section, there's some nice guitar work in that part there. It's a cool tune. It is. And it it kind of flows really well. I think it ends the first side, you know, with this kind of two darker songs, different pace songs from the first three kind of rippers. So, yeah. And then side two kicks off with Fulan. Yeah. Lady luck never smiles. As mentioned previously, this was the song that set me on the Def Leppard path. Number two in my top three songs from the album. Is there anybody out there? Is there anybody there? (laughs) Love this song. Killer Riffs. I know John likes previous album more, but man, this album is so magical. Oh, I love this song. Yeah. I think it's some of Joe Elliott's best singing. He just quoted the lyric when he just, towards the end of the song, when he just belts it out. It's catchy as all hell. It was on MTV a lot. (laughs) I might have seen this one. Yeah. Again, it's a darker song still. It's still not a bright. Hysteria became very bright and kind of fluffy in terms of the content of the songs. Fluffle. And 
And this is still kind of, you know, it's a little dark. It's a little yeah, catchier. It though. is. It's right. like um, he's, he's, is there anybody out there? Is anybody there? Does anybody care? Does anybody you know? care? Somebody cares enough because there's a nice prescription of cowbell on this album. Oh, yeah. This song also. That's so. what I said. More cowbell. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. So I like Joe Elliott's lower range in the mm-hmm. beginning of this song. And I, I feel like he didn't employ that enough. I, I feel like, you know, he, if he had used that more on this album, it, you'd, you'd feel the dynamic that you get from this song, which is he starts low, lady look, and then, and then he's, yeah, you know, he like really launches up into the stratosphere. And then it's, you feel the difference because he started low, you know, but there are a lot of songs on this album where he kind of starts high and he stays high. And, right. it, and it's it it has more of an impact when you can hear you know where there's a difference in where you start and where you end a and wider dynamic range exactly yeah I, that's a great I, point yeah. this this may be my favorite tune on the album and I I also like how it has kind of a mysterious vibe you know like the just the guitars and the kind of the minor key kind of deal on this mm-hmm. album or this song is just so cool. And so, yeah, this is probably my favorite on the album. Yeah. I, you bring up a good point. He, when he goes to his highs for the chorus or the bridge into the chorus. Oh, yeah. Man. It gives you chills. Right. And so it's good. because he starts low and you get this feeling like, you know, and his low register is really good. I don't know why he didn't sing more in that register because his voice is good in that register. And I really kind of feel like, I wish that he had done a little more there to give it a little more, a little more breadth and a little more dynamic range because it, it, that I think that's one of the elements of this song that makes it so great, you know, to go from this kind of, he, you know, it builds slowly. He's talking look, and then, and then it just, you know, the drums kind of build bum, 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 bum. And then he's just like, and he really just like rips. And I think that's one of the successes of this song. And I, I just, I kind of wish he had done a little more of that on this album where he had just kind of done a little more lower register stuff. Plus the gang singing chorus is very minimal on this song, which I liked a lot. <laughs> yeah. And not that I, I don't like Def Leppard is one of the few bands I give a pass for when it comes to that. Mm. But some of their songs can be a little too, it's like 18 guys on stage singing, you know, uh, the way the yeah. production is. And this right. one's not, as much which i kind of liked because it focuses is really more on joe elliott than the whole band singing so yeah i i agree with et on all that yeah he's outstanding on this song yeah it can easily transport me back to 1983 and put me back in that frame of mind for better and he took one, he for, took one for the team he got burned <laughs> during the video on this song too really he got headfield I think he did, if I'm not mistaken. I think there was an explosion during, you know, because he's. Oh, that's tied right. Up. He's going through that little zone where they're like blowing stuff up next to him, and yeah, and he. I think he took one for the team. I didn't so. know that. Wow. I think so. I I could be wrong, but I thought he did. Well, James Hetfield and Michael Jackson, Joe Elliott, a very small club. Yeah. All right, track seven, hmm. more filler. What do you? What am I going to say? <laughs> what? <laughs> Rock of Ages. Yeah. The intro for this song, the well-known Gunter Glieben Glauten Globen, often mentioned, but by me only understood as I researched this album for today. 
This was spoken by producer Mutt Lang and is apparently meant to sound like German gibberish to replace the standard count in the count in of one, two, three, four. Gunter Glieben, Glauben, and then you go in. I can sleep easy knowing the backstory now. Hmm. And uh, three of three, and I hold up four fingers to emphasize yeah, that. Thank you. Um, in, in my top three songs <laughs> for this album. This song ties into the pyromania aspect of the album title, since there is no title track per se. Uh, and it's just a monster of a rock song. Great riffs, hooks for days. What's not to love? Yeah, it's definitely the biggest song of the album. And yes, another, like this album had a ton of cowbell. And this mm. is another one of those songs with a ton of cowbell. So, you know, I cowbell accepts the actual backbeat of the song. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. Now, John, just like you, I've heard this too many times. But it is a good tune. <laughs> you can't not turn it up. Yeah. Ooh. So <laughs> here we go. Grumpy old man time. Yeah. Let me tell you, back when this came out, I liked it. No. Uh, <laughs> I like I do like this song, but it is it's their stairway to heaven for me mm-hmm. off of this album. Yeah. Yeah. It's just played all the time. And I'll be honest, I finally realized this time listening to it for the last couple of weeks is that this is the, Hey, let's get the crowd to sing along with us for the whole song. So the verse part of the song, the music will be this kind of loud clapping like that. Joe Satriani song, TR, what is that one called? The Um, Chan song or whatever. Yeah. 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 You know, it's the precursor to the power metal, you know, fist in the air go, Hey, 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 Hey. And then the crowd goes like that. (laughs) But this is a whole song. What that said, I do like the song much better when you get to the chorus. I think the whole band playing sounds great. The guitar solos are great. I love that they're still not giving up on that prescription of cowbell. No, it is a good song. It's just, it's worn me out a little bit because I like so many other songs on the album. It falls down the list because like photograph, it was just played constantly and still is. It's still on classic radios all the time. I mean, they got like a Vegas show based on this or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, definitely. but yeah, it's good. I, I just, you know, I don't gravitate to it as much anymore because I've heard it so much. It's not because it's not a good song. It's just, I'm tired. Rock of ages fatigue. I got to mm-hmm. take a nap. So maybe when I wake up, I'll listen to it. All right. <laughs> so track number eight coming under fire. This sounds like the sequel to too late for love. <laughs> I'm running out of ways to say I love songs on this album. Luckily, there's only two more songs, but per usual for the album, this one brings the hooks and the riffs. So this was released as a signal, this one? This was. It oh, really? was? Really? Yeah. yeah. Now, I will say this is my least favorite song in the album. Yeah. I like it. Like how you feel about Stage Fright, I feel about this song. Same thing. Yeah. Um, I saw TR make the little eh. This is not my favorite. I'm with you, John. This yeah. is my least favorite song on the album. And I would say this is my song. second least favorite, but again, I like them all. So yeah, it's not yeah. a bad song at all. It's, no, but it's just, eh, you know, okay. What's next? Yeah. So, but you know, it's another Pete Willis song. He co-wrote this. He mm. co-wrote four songs on this album, which is okay. interesting. He's way more involved in this album than say like Dave Mustaine was involved in Metallica's first album, you know, which you <laughs> don't stop hearing him talk about that all the yeah. time, but it, he, it's kind of like a Dave Mustaine situation a little bit playing on yeah. the album and writing some of the songs, but not being there. 
So only mm. he didn't start another band and get wildly famous as well. No, you're right. He didn't. Yeah. Yeah. That's a very good point, George. <laughs> okay, then. I got my tail between my legs after that. Uh, <laughs> track nine, action, not words. I thought this was kind of an odd song out of the bunch. It's cool and all, but it feels a little more generic pop rock, maybe a little precursor to hysteria. But the chorus is still pretty rocking, and I've always liked it. There's nothing against it. It's just something I noticed while listening to it. I was like, it's not quite as heavy. It's a little more poppy. Yeah, I felt like thematically this was like a little like stage fright, right? I, I feel like he, he must be a frustrated director or something because <laughs> it's all about, you know, welcome to my show. You're going to be on stage. You're going to do this and action. Give me action. You know, <laughs> it's the same theme, you know, same concept, but just in a different song. So, yeah. So we all have songs from bands that everyone loves that we hate. And some people don't like, and we love. And I feel like this is that song for me. I love this song. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I absolutely love it. And I think it's because I got hooked by the chorus. The chorus always got me. And it is. It's a simple rock song. It is. It's the most generic song on the album in terms of song construction and everything. And I bet a lot of people don't gravitate to this song that are, are fans of the band. I don't know what it is. I just... We all have these songs. Mm -hmm. Absolutely love it. It's not my favorite song on the album, but I just think it's cool. And I love, I'm going to tie ACDC in. This is uh -huh. a little more of a comparable tie-in, but I love at the end when he yells out light, lights, camera, sound. And when he yells sound, it sounds like Brian Johnson a little bit. It's a little yeah. rough there. I was about to rock fire. <laughs> yeah. It's got a little bit there at the end. And so, and I don't know what it is. I think the melodies during the verse, portions i just i like the guitar melodies in there they just they are it's complete this song stands out as like stage fright uh -huh. but it stands out for a different reason it's not like anything on the album yeah it really true. doesn't so yeah track 10 billy's got a gun while this track was released as a single i don't recall there being much of a big deal made of it me which, neither. Which is too yeah. bad because this is among my favorites from the album. Yeah. It's got hmm. groove and menace and there's danger in the air. I don't know. It's just kind of a cool song. And I always related to Billy the Kid, you know, Billy and a gun. You'd think Billy mm -hmm. the Kid. And, you know, being an outsider in a world out to get you. And, hey, where you get that gun? You know, these days talking about guns so casually is not really kosher. But back mm -hmm. in the innocent 80s, this was cool. Bang, mm -hmm. bang. The end of the song. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, I love this song too. There's a lot, actually a lot of sense in this song, which kind of gives it a, a another kind of darker feel. It's not necessarily a darker feel, but it definitely a different feel in terms of the song structure. I like that it's slow and prodding and rhythmic with the drums. Some great guitar work at the end. It's actually not the last song on the album. Yeah. yeah. We'll get we'll to that. that. We'll get to yeah. that. Yeah. But I, I, I think it's a cool tune. I think it's a good way to end the album. Yeah, this actually, this seemed like the other half of Die Hard the Hunter to me in terms mm -hmm. of like, yeah. you know, it does. lyrically, lyrical content. You know, he's talking in Die Hard the Hunter, like, you know, he's coming for you. He's, you know, he's going to shoot you down or whatever. And then here's Billy. And he's got a gun and he's, you know, he's, he's out, he's, you know, going out for you. So it's, it kind of seemed like the other half of that. 
another decent tune, but not my favorite on the album. But, you know, definitely a decent song, but just, uh, you know, in terms of like, I mean, it would it would fall in the lower half for me in terms of favorite tunes. Yeah, and, yeah and, it's and, another and song like, doesn't sound anything like the rest of the songs on the album. That's true. You know? Yeah. And, you know, we're getting to this, but I've never understood the weird drum ending thing that, you know, uh-huh. precipitates at the end here. I just, I did not get that. And I really don't understand. There, uh, it, there's nothing even cool about that. I don't understand. Oh, it's like, cool. Why do you, it's cool. I don't know. Mm-hmm. To me, it's, it's cool. not cool. First uh, of all, it's, it's not it even do anything for me. It's not even part of Billy's Got a Gun. It's a hidden track. Yes, but so at the same time, 11. it's just, it's just nothing it's just it's completely unnecessary yeah it's not needed and it's cool it's cool (laughs) okay it's cool so two to two to one and it's got a cool name yes it does yeah what is it the zombie something or other get to that we'll get to that all right yeah so honestly i think billy is probably friends with ricky do you know ricky He's a young boy, has a heart of gold, works oh, I thought it, uh, nine to five and oh. works his finger to the bone. I lost his number, so I don't know. How to yeah. I don't know. <laughs> That's exactly where I was going with that. <laughs> Ricky, don't, don't you lose my number. Yeah, okay, well, that's Genesis. But I'm talking Skid Row, people. I know, we're talking uh, Steely Dan, buddy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> whatever. Ricky, don't lose that number. Oh, maybe that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. What's the Genesis oh. song? Yeah, you wouldn't, you don't like them at that point anyway all right moving on track 11 the secret track i never knew i never knew that the bit after billy's got a gun the last song had an actual name and Mm -hmm. it sounds like this weird looping backwards drum sound over and over and uh it's called the march of the wooden zombies (laughs) i love it thank you wikipedia yes um, I did not know that until yesterday. <laughs> and I was like, I always wondered what that was about. Yeah. I learned a it's lot a of little, things about it's this peculiar. album. Yeah. It is a little odd and it seemed kind of tacked on, but okay, whatever. I, I, I didn't get anything out of that. All oh, right. You kind of sound like you're offended or something. You are, man. Yeah. You've got some real <laughs> attitude about this thing. Like, yeah, I'm I just re- don't know. It's... Let me tell you about those wooden zombies. Let me tell you about the wooden zombies. <laughs> Back when I was a kid, we didn't have wooden zombies. Our zombies were made out of rotting dead flesh. <laughs> they were made out of dirt. <laughs> uh, oh, there they are in their Union yes. Jacks. I'm Just showing them. John a is holding up the picture from the album of them hold, wearing all kinds of British flags on themselves. Yeah. Union Jack shorts. <laughs> Union Jack everything. Union Jack shirts. So it's cut off shirts and basically uh, Lemmy shorts. <laughs> they ain't hiding much. No. Nothing is left to the imagination. <laughs> Anything else for Def Leppard before we move on? No, not a bad song of the album, in my opinion. It's a great album. It's not my favorite. I'm, I've told you guys I'm a high and dry fan, but yep. it's I've always uh, cherished all three albums. The first being the new wave of British heavy metal into their, you know, not just arena size, their stadium sound, you know, that came with Pyromania. Yeah. Yep, I'm with you, John. And half of Hysteria, I'm guessing, based on uh, yeah, three and a half comment. Yeah, there's about four songs on the album that I like. I like that. I really like the song Rocket. I don't know what it was. There's something about it that I liked. Yeah, I like Woman's Woman's kind of cool. I like most of it, if not all of it. But it's mm-hmm. not something I'm going to reach for before Pyromania. 
No. Yeah. It's more of a, if it comes on the radio, I'll turn it up. Yeah. Gods of, is Gods of War on that? Yep. Yeah. I like that. That's kind of cool. Yeah. That's got so. the, uh, the, well, actually it's not in that track. I don't think I think it's in a different track, but there's a backwards message that I, oh, I remember I, that, that says we've been fighting with the Gods of War. And uh, hmm. that was one of the songs that I did a backmasking demonstration speech in high school. I brought in my entire stereo into the school, <laughs> set it up in front of the classroom, and played it backwards like the satanic worshiper that I am. Oh, and, nice. And like everybody's just like, uh, like, could you be any more weird? <laughs> Whoa, did that say eat at Joe's? <laughs> Turn me on, dead man. Yeah. Number nine. Number nine. Number nine. Yeah. So, all, all right, right. Well, then let's move on to our second album, John. All right. So for my second album, I am still stuck in the 80s. I can't get out. Hmm. I'm stuck. It's just something about, well, now I'm, I'm out of my comfort zone of 1980 to 1983. <laughs> I went way oh, wow. in the future to 1985. Slow down. <laughs> what are you this doing? Is this is scary stuff. And for my album, I did not do necessarily a rock album or a hard rock album or definitely not a hard album. rock album. Yeah. Not even close. And some people might be like, what? But this is not the album you think it is. If you only know two of the big songs off of it. So I went with tears for fears songs from the big chair. And I will state right now, I did not like this band when they came out. I didn't like their songs. I mean, I'm hearing, you know, everybody wants to rule the world. I'm hearing that and those kids. And I'm thinking, you take my life, but I'll take his too. And I'm like, I like the guy <laughs> taking the other guy's life. I like that better. He's going to run yeah. you through. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm thinking, you know, priests with rapid fire. And I'm like, I don't want to rule the world because I got rapid fire, baby. We're taking over the universe. <laughs> Boy, was I wrong because I've grown to absolutely love this album. Mm. It's not for everyone. You know, if you don't know who Tears for Fear are, which would be really hard not to know who this band is. Yeah. Um, this is a mega album that came out. It was released on February 25th, 1985. They recorded at a place called the Wool Hall which is kind of an interesting name for a studio and recorded in England, which is where they're from. It is a new wave pop rock. It's a little progressive pop. They get a little interesting towards the back half of the album. It's brand pop. pop. Yeah. You know, it's got an ethereal feel to it, but there's a little more to them than just the couple of songs you've heard. It's their second full length album, but it's actually the last to feature all the original members which in their videos, they're all there. But after this album, it just becomes the Roland Orzabal and Kurt Smith show. But on this album, they had their keyboard player, Ian Stanley and Manny Elias on drums sold roughly 10 million copies worldwide. So this is a big album. What else I got to say real quick? Nothing more than that. I mean, I didn't, I didn't put too much together because I think most people probably heard this album they maybe have not experienced the whole album yet and so i'm gonna try to maybe help you along the way in that what do you guys uh, think to start before we get into the songs so when this album came out in 85 i was just entering my death to false music phase mm-hmm. <laughs> and this album was one of the <laughs> 80s bands and albums that was on my hit list i couldn't stand it but as 
has happened so often with music from the 80s, I now find myself at the polar opposite of where I was in high school. And all the stuff I hated in high school, I actually have nostalgic fondness for now. And this is one of those. I've actually seen the band twice. So Okay. Yeah, this is another band I never got into. Obviously, I definitely knew the hits. It was played like crazy on the radio and MTV when it came out. I was actually surprised at how many songs I knew when I listened to this album. This also made me nostalgic, and it made me think of movies like The Breakfast Club, even Mm -hmm. though none of their songs were on that movie. But it's got that feel, right? It was that time, you know? like The Breakfast uh, Club envelops everything that is the 80s. That's true. All those Brat Pack movies that were coming out and, you know, Ferris Bueller and everything else that was happening at that time, like, it just brings back memories of that for me. Anyway. How cool is that? You think kids today are like, oh my gosh, I'm 20 years later and I really like, you know, Fast and Furious. <laughs> I mean, come on. They, well, don't make, they don't make John Hughes movies anymore. Why? No. Because he's dead. Yeah. But... You bring up a good point. We had we have two generational films. Like the nineties had what American Pie. That's kind of their generational film that everyone seemed to love. We had Brat Pack films. We had Sixteen Candles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we had The Breakfast Club. Just, yeah. just just you couldn't, especially The Breakfast Club, because of the. You think, oh, it's just a comedy. These five punk kids. There's so much dynamic in their personalities going on that. I think oh, yeah. a lot of us could identify. It's you know what yeah, it is. There, there was at least one person in that group that you could identify with. Oh, easy. oh yeah. And you regardless had of what, what click you came from, and and that's the genius of that film because, you know, pretty much, you, you know, regardless of of what group you kind of identify with, all of them were represented. Yeah. You know, every type of person almost was represented in that film. You know, to include the conservative, you know, what's his name? The teacher, you know, you, you grab the bull, you get the horns, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. See those horns coming you up? With, you mess with the bull, you get the horns. That's right. You mess with the bull, you get the horns. So the, which character are you? Or characters? I'm I'm the Anthony Michael Hall character. You're Brian. Yeah, yeah, you are. Definitely. Yeah. Are. <laughs> I couldn't get I couldn't get the trunk to work. <laughs> it wouldn't turn on. It wouldn't turn on. John? No. So I have two characters. I was the athlete, but in my junior year, while I was still an athlete and playing schools, not in the school year, I was playing for the school. I started shifting into the rock heavy metal guy. So I was both. Yeah. I I was both Brian and Bender. I just didn't smoke. That's an interesting combo. Yeah, I, you know, I was Bender in that I was very angry and metal. Mm-hmm. But I was also Brian because I was a total nerd and still am. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. You know, the only thing, one last thing about this film, because we're not talking about The Breakfast Club, but it is fun to talk about. <laughs> no, but it, you bring up a very good point because his album does remind you that the yeah. only thing that would have made that film basically a 10 out of 10 for me is had they included the song subdivisions from rush because that subject <laughs> yeah, matter actually that is, would have been perfect for that that would have been perfect yes yes damn you john and damn and, you. and it would have worked with bender instead of yes. i want to be yeah. an air force ranger you'd be like you know singing rush in, in the, the hallway. traffic calls in the concert halls yes yeah. so let's uh let's basement bars 
Carry on. I'm trying to think. I'm now, I got the damn lyric in my head. <laughs> Way to go, TR. Yeah, you're Be welcome. Be cool right. or be cast out. Subdivisions. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. So let's get started. And this album starts off with an absolute behemoth of a song for this band. It is one of the signature songs. They don't have a lot of albums. But if you're going to have signature songs, what better way to start the album off? And it's the song Shout. If you haven't heard this song, I'd be hard-pressed. If you listen to, to music, it'd be hard-pressed that you haven't heard this yet in your life, if you're of a certain age. Starts out with this kind of interesting digital kind of percussion, and it's leading you into something, and it just rips right into the chorus with heavy... It's all synth and all program drums uh, but just this heavy vibe and rhythm of now the famous chorus of shout shout let it all out these are the things i can do without come on i'm talking to you i mean it's so it's not that hard to remember that and it's they sing it a lot there in this song because it's a long song uh, but it was a mega hit for them on MTV. It was not the first single. It was the second single off the album. It's described from Roland Olzerball, who's the singer and guitar player, as a simple song about protest. And you can see that. But yet it has this big, catchy, programmed drum sequence and bombastic uh, vocals. Some interesting guitar work. This is not a guitar album, but there's interesting guitar work that he does. Uh-huh. It's subtle. He does some cool, neat little things. And it sounds like a band, even though it's the 80s. And even though it's got a synthy sound, it sounds like an organic band, though. The drums are real places. In places, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. plays on most of the songs, but this is one where he doesn't play. This is the, yeah. the, the kind of Phil Collins sound, but it's all programmed. It does get a little tedious with the chorus after a while. It does. But it's still a great song. I agree. For me, this is the first of the three. And again, I hold up four fingers. I don't know why. I just can't get that one down. <laughs> the the first of three big songs for me on this album has a crazy hooky chorus kind of epitomizes what was good about Britpop in the eighties, as we sort of alluded to with the breakfast club stuff. It's bright and synthy with big expressive vocals and that eighties affected vocal sound that I can't quite put into words, but you know it when you hear it, it's, Oh yeah, that's definitely an eighties tune. I used to roll my eyes at this song, but now I love it. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny because absolutely the the huge hit from this album. And I think there were too many synths in this for me. I've since softened on that. It's catchy and memorable for sure. The outro guitar is simple but tasteful. And John, you're right. There are, uh, you know, initially when you listen to this album, it's obviously not a guitar album. However, there are some very tasteful guitar parts on this album. If you listen and for them. If you listen for them, you will find them. And I did. And so, yeah. If you play the it, they will hear it. Exactly. <laughs> and I was there and I did. So, yeah, definitely. So, George, real quick, I have to ask. You've seen them twice live. Yep. I have to imagine this song is like big. Like when you hear it, not big as in like, wow, but just big sounding because of the drum sequencing that they use. And he plays live. The drummer plays this live, but mm-hmm. it's a combination of the, the program drums and the acoustic drums. It has to sound pretty good. Oh in yeah. A big venue. Yeah. It almost be- becomes an AOR song, even though it's not AOR style music, but it becomes an, an arena song because of that. I think I saw them once at Verizon and once at Meriwether. 
Wow. Those are big places. Very cool. All right. So the second song is called The Working Hour. This song opens up a kind of a sexy jazz sax kind of subtle sense followed by some program percussion again it features a lot of big musicians on it mel collins is on saxophone from king crimson played with camel alan parsons dire straits and now we have to go to our annual or episode peter gabriel reference time yes here we go (laughs) includes jerry Murata on percussion and saxophone arrangements He's played with Peter Gabriel. Uh, Will Gregory on saxophone, who's known for being in a band called Goldfrap, an English electronic music duo from London. But he's also worked alongside Toremos, Portishead, and yes, Peter Gabriel. Mm -hmm. So there is that Peter Gabriel connection there. I guess we Um, have to, like, every episode now we have to mention Peter Gabriel in some context. Maybe. Until we... End him like the Leviathan was ended on the Metalheads podcast. Chop! Once we finally <laughs> caught that whale. <laughs> that whale is floating at the bottom of the ocean now. It, there's some really cool synths on this, I think. The song kind of crescendo reminds me of some of the synth sounds off of, believe it or not, Peter Gabriel's Melt album, which doesn't surprise me because this music kind of, I think, is a derivative slightly of that early Peter Gabriel sound in, in early eighty. 81. Not that it's copying at all, but I think Peter Gabriel's on to something that a lot of bands kind of gleaned onto that and used that. There's kind of a signature melody that starts through the song that becomes kind of an earworm. And oh. it has that kind of new romantic style. Do you guys remember that from the late 70s, early 80s? That was uh-huh. really big. You know, Bowie was kind of part of that. He, he kind of edged that along a little. I like the song. I think it's got some interesting things going on. It's Again, not what you expect from this band after you hear their hits. They kind of take it a little different direction. And I think uh, Roland Orzabal's vocals on this are great. I, I actually enjoy this song a lot. Yeah, me too. Um, so the saxophone, some pretty s- serious saxophone playing on this album, mm-hmm. or on this song, I should say. And, and you know, it's got this sax beginning with these new agey kind of keys to start the song. It's a chilled out tune and you mentioned Roland's vocals on this. They, to me, they weren't as prominent on this song. They seem to be like more in the mix, which I was okay with because, you know, it seemed like the song itself was more important than the lyrics. And so I don't know if that was, you know, deliberate or if it was just kind of the way that it worked out, but I, his vocals didn't seem as like higher up in the mix than the rest mm. of it to me at least. And I was surprised to learn that Jerry Murata did the percussion and the sax arrangements. <laughs> so my notes read sexy. Where's Mac? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, it's sexy sauce. No doubt. We just went from Brit pop to smooth jazz in one song. Mm-hmm. These are my notes. So I'm stream of consciousness. Okay. <laughs> Here comes the Brit Bop bits now. Okay. But it sounds to me like a detective show where the guy is standing near mm. a streetlight at midnight with a fedora <laughs> and a cigarette. You know? Yeah. yeah that's... It's got that vibe about it. And then I said, and it changed again. I don't know. To me, the song kind of meanders aimlessly to my ears. And when I say aimlessly, I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean that it's not as cohesive 
you know, verse, chorus, verse. Mm. Um, so not aimlessly, just meanders. It's okay, but there's no hook grabbing me. However, uh, towards the end, I noticed that some of the vocals were giving me a Duran Duran, a view to a kill vibe. Mm. I was like, eh. Interesting. Yeah, I think this song proves that this album is not what you think it is if you haven't listened to it before, because it's really not. Yeah, to Although, be sure. the next song we get into is the album you think it is. Uh-huh. <laughs> that is the other huge hit off of this album, which was actually the third single, and I'm still having a hard time believing that. Does the nobody like that third song? Because I do. Oh, no, what I'm saying is I'm having a hard time believing that this was the third single, not the first yeah, one. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Right. So, I agree. Uh, and that is Everybody Wants to Rule the World. When this song came out, no, not, not having it. Not I was at listening, all. I was listening to Priest, Black Sabbath, Yes, <laughs> Rush, Genesis. Everybody Zebra. Wants to Hate Tears for Fears. That was me. I, they just. This is the song that typified the brooding mid-'80s kid at school you're like oh god here they are again listening to their violent femmes album hey now <laughs> i'm not knocking the bands i'm saying at that time right we were hard rock metal guys i That's know right. but i always liked now, the violent femmes i absolutely love this song because it's so simple it's got this great driving beat from the bass and drums it's got this signature intro again just like shout the way it starts with the synths at the beginning and actually, it's a last-minute addition to the album. This is, I think, the last song that got added to the album that they recorded. And it also features Kurt Smith on vocals. While on the first album, they split the vocals, Kurt Smith and Roland. He sings this one exclusively, and there's no bass on this. It's all synth, so he doesn't actually play the bass on this like he normally does. Yeah, it's synth pop, but it's cool. I like the guitars. They kind of have an edgy, kind of semi-jagged sound, especially during the solo at the end. I think it's... It's interesting that when you watch the video to this, it's another desert feel, like I talked about mm-hmm. on the previous on Pyromania. But it's, it has the video where he's driving in the desert, and the music kind of sounds like you're in your car just driving on the open road somewhere, where it's not just open road, but open, expansive area, too, on top of that. I love it. I, I it didn't then. Now I think it's a great tune. And it is. It is a great tune if you separate what you like and just think of the song itself. Pure pop brilliance. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now we're talking. Probably the band's biggest song in, in my book anyway. We got Hooks Galore on this bad boy. Such a sing-along song. I really like the break part. It's kind of st- stereotypical in its placement, the break that is. But I don't care. It's cool. I think mostly about their synth work when I think of these guys. But there's, as John said, there's some really good guitar on here too. Yeah, this is the other huge hit. It's a classic tune. I like the guitar riffs in the middle of the song. And it's just chilled out, right? The tune is just chilled out. And it's funny because, John, you know, you you, you kind of, and even George, I think we've, we all kind of, this wasn't our thing when we were coming up in 85, but mm-hmm. I, I, I think, I don't know, just the, the nostalgia I guess the nostalgia piece of this is um, real. It is. And it kind of, it changes your whole perspective on this because at the time, this was not my thing. There was too many synths and it just, you know, fake drums and whatever you want to say about it. It just was like, not my thing. But now looking back on it, it's kind of like, 
Yeah, you know, there were some good times and I remember listening to that and it was kind of the soundtrack of your life while things were happening around you and you heard it everywhere. And while you weren't listening to it full time on your own, you know, CDs and or whatever, you know, records and albums that you had at the time, it was just ubiquitous. I mean, you, you know, you couldn't escape it. And so I think some of that just creeps in without you knowing it, you know, you can't help it. And even though it wasn't kind of my thing, it's okay. This takes me back to 1985. And, you know, when you're growing up and it's like you're a sophomore in high school or whatever, and it's okay. Yeah. That's like a distinct period of your life and you can't escape that. I'm not stuck in that period now. And that's the difference in 1985. Everything sucked. (laughs) Now I can look back on this and be like, oh yeah, it's nice. Yeah. you're, You're right. TR, this is by far the most nostalgic part of the album. Yeah. Like I remember watching this video. Even so, if this doesn't make sense, maybe to you guys it might. And George, I'm not sure because you said you didn't watch MTV as much initially. I know TR and I were probably glued to it because we're like, yeah. wow, what is this? Oh my god! I watched even videos I hated. Yeah, exactly. Because you couldn't leave because yeah. you could. Maiden might come up next or, well, or yeah, I mean, no, there is that transfixed by, and I mean, it, it could be the crappiest band, but you'd never seen anything like that. So yeah. it was just, you couldn't help but watch it. You were transfixed completely. Yeah. I, I was when, I, you know, I was too. even like these stupid songs with stupid videos, it, it, it was like nothing you ever saw and you wanted to completely absorb it. I just remember sitting in front of MTV and just, like, so I didn't have MTV at my house. We lived in the, in the, in, you know, in the country. So we didn't have cable. Uh-huh. And so for me, I had to go over to my friend's houses that had MTV because that was the only place I could see it. And so my buddy Jason had cable and I would go to his house. And of course, he had been watching it for the last 14 hours. So when I would show up, he's like, I don't want to watch this anymore. And I'm like, what are you kidding me? That's all I wanted to do is watch that. And I don't like, want to see you. I just want to watch your TV. Yeah, pretty much. You know, I'm like, come on, man, let's watch MTV. And he's, and you know, he had it, it, it when you have something, you don't, you know, you don't care about it because it's, you've got it. So it's like, yeah, I can watch yeah. that anytime. I don't know. And, but I didn't have it. So for me, it was like, oh my God, you know, like this is incredible. Like a special treats. <laughs> remember, yeah, like being glued to the TV and just wanting to watch hours of it, even if it was like the dumbest thing. You know, some of these videos were terrible. <laughs> and when yeah. you look back on it, it's like, how is this like fascinating? But yet, video the killed time, the radio star. It would, yeah. And, you it know, really did. it was though. It was fascinating and it did suck you in. Even these songs that you really probably wouldn't listen to the music, but with the video aspect of it, you, you kind of got pulled in. So yeah, this definitely was one of those songs that, that kind of, you know, had it all right. Like the video, the music, the hit, the catchy thing, the whole deal. Yeah. And one thing about the video real quick is that it was the traditional video of the time, which was there was some backstory that made no sense. Him driving in the desert and driving by some kid who came out from his house on the dirt road. And then it would phase into seeing them playing in a studio, not a studio setup, but like a fake stage setup. 
Right. You know, and then to go back to the, the story that made no sense, like how do you ruin the world <laughs> driving your little Aston Martin or whatever car he was driving, you know, his little thing with the top down. Yeah. And it was, you just go back to the plane. I want to see the guy's plane, you know? And then you're like, that, that video was kind of cool, but it just was a weird, a weird mix of style. All right. So we move on to the fourth song in the album called Mother's Talk. This, I believe, is the first single from the album. This is by far the most 80s sounding song in terms of the big, huge drum sounds, the synthy horns, along with the kind of, which I guess would be patches, I'm not sure. Maybe you guys know better than me. And the synth work, it's got a total chorus earwarming when they sing, we can work it out, but it's got the big booming drum sound. And it's cool. I like it, but it's definitely the most of that dreaded 80s sound that for some like for the bands we love like Rush, this is a sound we don't like. <laughs> you know, or Genesis or Yes. Right. For a band like Tears for Fears, it works because it it's still within their their sphere of what they're trying to do. Uh, I do like some of the edgier guitar sounds again, kind of like uh everyone wants to rule the world. It's a cool tune. I mean, I don't dislike any tunes on this album. There's some I like more than others. This one's fine. I could see why they would use that as a single. I'm just surprised it's the first single off the album. Yeah, this one was one I actually had forgotten about. And I remember hearing this one on the radio and at parties in college. It's a little too synthy for me and the drums were overproduced. So mm-hmm. those well, things, agree. you know, like you said, it's got that 80s sound that's just, you know, was kind of an anathema to me. I just did not care for this kind of sound. But, but as I listened to this song, it was, oh, I remember this, you know, like it's again, when you don't have this album and you didn't listen to the whole album. uh, But I did remember this track just from being on the radio and stuff. So I didn't think I knew this one and I'm still not sure I did, but the, we can work it out part does sound familiar. So maybe I have heard it, you know, and just didn't register it, but it's more peppy than track two. I didn't think it was super hooky, which is what I'm a bit shocked that this was the third signal. I, I thought it would have been a different track yet to come, but it, it's kind of interesting. And I said that, and the part that I find interesting about it is it feels like a sort of a mashup of two songs at the risk of invoking his name again, mm. a little bit of Peter Gabriel sledgehammer vibe combined with maybe some Prince bat dance, <laughs> which by this point was not released yet for another couple of years. So, yeah. So they're influencing bat dance. Exactly. It's their fault. This is the one, this song, while I like it now is the song that what I detested. I, I did. I almost detested a lot of this music in high school. This is the the type of song, not this particular song, but this is the type of music that I was just like, I don't get this. I don't like it. Yeah. Now I'm like, ah, maybe I was wrong about a lot of this stuff. Not all of it. That's the story <laughs> of my life. Eating crow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, this, yeah. Yeah. John, I'm with you on that. Like at the time I just, I couldn't stand this, but I think nostalgia is a huge thing that really kind of, can change your whole perspective. And I think when, when music kind of relates to a particular time in your life that 
I don't know, just the music of course has the ability to transport you through time. Right. And, and when you hear something, you're instantly transported to an earlier time in your life for certain songs. And that's a pretty powerful thing. And so even if you didn't care for the music, the power of time transport (laughs) is a powerful thing that can kind of overcome some of the, some of the, you know, some of the complaints you might've had about that particular song. And so I find that a lot of these now don't get me wrong. There's still plenty of eighties synth pop stuff that I still can't stand. (laughs) Agreed completely. But but there are some that have mellowed over time. Like one of those bands is REM. I did not care when they came out. They were one of my, they were one of my trigger bands too. And now I love them. Yeah. I've grown to really like that, that, that band and the songs from that, those early songs or at least up through 89, like pop song 89 and some of the tunes, like from that, whatever that album was green or whatever. Yeah, I don't know. Green Finest work song. Yeah. All that stuff kind of at the time, I didn't care for it, but yeah. from yeah. The, the nostalgia factor kind of changed my view on some of that. And this is one of those albums. Like now don't get me wrong. I'm not like, Oh my God, I got it. You know, tears for fear songs for the big chair. I want to have that album so bad. It, it's, no, it, but it was really cool to listen to the whole thing and, you know, hear all of the songs in the context of an album. I, right. I enjoyed that. And a lot of the songs that I maybe didn't care for or just kind of, you know, was present for at the time, now I kind of have a greater appreciation for them. Yeah, I can agree with that. All right, so move on to the fifth song. And once again, proving this is not the album you thought it was, if you hadn't heard the whole thing. The fifth song is called I Believe. This is a very kind of somber, emotional song. It's got a jazzy feel to it. And it's a pretty simple song in terms of what's going on. It opens with piano, some quiet hi-hat and snare work, and just rolling of all's vocals and it's got that kind of the e-note i this is something i've coined for myself the e-note which has got that emotional note to it when you listen to him sing and it's not a full acapella song but it's pretty pretty close to him being acapella until the song builds up a little bit it features some interesting saxophone work from will gregory on it in the middle of the song there's not much to say other than you have to listen to it to hear. I watched a live performance he did back in the uh, 80s, and I'm sitting thinking, he's this big, huge room, you know, whatever, how many hundreds or a thousand people, and he's singing. That's a lot of pressure not to mess up because he doesn't have anything to cover his voice up on it, and I think he does an outstanding job on it. I think he's a good singer to begin with because I like his register and everything, and he can get high, but he doesn't generally go high all the time and this song he kind of has to lay it out it's kind of a cool very like i said somber mellow song i hate to use that word mellow because then i think he's like getting high i yeah i'm gonna sing a song dude it's not that at all it's just very quiet so this sounded like a sade song to me (laughs) (laughs) i mean honestly like I don't care for Roland's vocals on this, and I, I kind of feel like it would have been better with Chardé singing it, honestly. Um, She's a cool operator. 
Yeah, she he could have been a smooth operator, but a he smooth wasn't smooth operator, whatever. Yeah. yeah. It's it's a little too lounge for me and it doesn't seem to go with the other songs on this album, but okay. I mean, I don't know. I I feel like I get what he, they were trying to do with this song, but I I don't feel like they they execute well. I I just feel like to me, this is a Sade song to me. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not alone on this island. I'm sorry for the words I'm about to say, John, but know that I love this band. <laughs> Don't look so serious. I'm waiting for you to say something. <laughs> so you think it's shit. Okay, that's fine. No, I just have silly comments. I said, again, these are like stream of conscious notes. I said, ballady song, barf. that was just like an 80s joke makes me think of wedding singer and the way the band sings do you really want to hurt me (laughs) okay uh and there's maybe a little solo george michael in there which is not a bad thing overall not one of my favorite songs on the album but at least there's some socks all right don't have to like everything Hmm. all right we'll move on the next three songs are actually all tied in together, but I'll talk about this song on its own, but then the next two songs I'll, I'll talk together. Mm-hmm. The next song is called Broken, which is a short song, only two and a half minutes. It was actually originally released as a B-side off of the Pale Shelter single in 1983, so this is actually not a new song. The original was more kind of synth-driven and programmed drums, which was about four minutes. So there's about an additional, I don't know how much, do the math, minute and a half, roughly. So, or three and a half, I guess. I'm trying to figure. So there's, because this is hard to explain because this song is actually played twice on the album. It's, book it's a reprise after Head Over Heels, which is coming up. It's the seventh song. But I actually like this song. Hopefully I'm not the only one who does. But because I think this is the raw the rockier part of the album where they start to show a different side. Again, they've literally flipped from synth pop to Sade to now kind of a rock sound and it, it, it's there. And it's a cool instrumental for most of the song. There's some interesting guitar tones. I hear that remind me of David Bowie's scary monsters album, which came out in 80. The lyrics tie in to the following song because they're the lyrics to head over heels which were actually the lyrics to the song Broken that came out a few years prior to that. It's probably the heaviest song on the album. That doesn't mean anything for an album like this, but it's also the most rock song on the album. Uh, And I love it. And it ties right into the song Head Over Hills, which we'll go into next after we talk about this one. Yeah, I'm with you, John. Like this to me felt like, okay, this is more like it. You know, like after going through, I believe it was like, okay, let's get back to what this band is about and what they do well. And uh, for me, and yeah, you it intros the theme from the next song, right? You get that theme popping up from head over heels, dum 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 dum, and that you know it, it makes its appearance in this song. But you're right, like it's to me like this had the jammingest guitar parts on the whole album, and you know, for as short as it was, it, I thought it was really just jamming out, which I thought was cool. Yeah. I said, cool guitar bit. I was actually initially going to say they did an instrumental, 
but literally in the last minute, they throw in some vocals. <laughs> I thought it was a nice segue into Head Over Heels. Yeah, yeah. which is, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, that I kind of felt, man, you know, this is kind of cool. Like, why didn't we get this on the single? You know, like with Head Over Heels, like it pretty much, I don't remember all that, you know. Was it, it a single? In the beginning. No. That's what I don't get. See, I thought this was the third single, but no, should have been. <laughs> Somebody at that record label needs to be fired. That's right. No, the singles were Mother's Talk, Shout, Everybody Wants to Rule the World, and the next song, Head Over Heels. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Oh, like, so it was a single. Head Over Heels head, was. Head over, yeah, Broken wasn't. Broken but, wasn't. No, but I know, point, but I thought there were the, only The point three. I was making was, is I kind of felt, man, they should have put this before Head Over Heels and made that the whole, make the whole thing the single. You know? Yeah, I get that. It was released as a back B-side of a single. Yeah, but like I'm saying, like, you know, to me, like it, it introduces the theme. Like it seems like the more complete version of Head Over Heels if this part's in front of it because it it, start, it introduces that theme. So I, I kind of felt, you know, it would have been more complete if the if all of that had been part of the single. You know what I'm saying? One big song. Yeah, exactly. Oh, so you're saying that this is the progier part of the album and this is like the three parts of a, of a single song that's like eight minutes long. <laughs> that's what I would like on a of single. Course. Yeah. We, we all would TR. Yeah. That's not how it works. <laughs> Just us. I think well, that thing's going to come everybody. up again. I had to hear you flesh it out a little more to get Sorry. what you're saying. I need to clear that problem. Up. This is really cool. And then you're like, I want it to be the whole song. Yes. I agree with you. I do. Yeah. And what TR means by that is that the underlying piano synth i guess it's a piano he's doing or off of a synth wow uh, that leads into the next song head over heels which was the fourth single another song that was played constantly on mtv it's actually my favorite song in the album because i kind of just like the vibe of the song Uh it's again it doesn't sound like the other two big singles off the album it's just they have a knack for staying in their synth pop world but each song's just slightly different in, in where they're going. This is another kind of rock song, but with that 80s sound. I always loved the video, even though it was silly as all hell. But to this day, there's that mid, mid-verse, yeah, that gets yelled out. I still yell it out every time I hear it, because <laughs> I think it's cool. It's I just I like the vibe of the song. It's a little different. It feels more organic, this song. This part of the album feels more organic. It feels like there's a full band playing all the time. It's mid-paced. And yes, there is that whole law hmm. chorus gang singing thing going on. I give this song a pass because I like this song so much. It goes on a little too long for me. Um, what it does is it breaks back into Broken. It's kind of a live reprise at the end which has got this kind of cool little drum bit that goes on that, you know, kind of digital sound that comes in at the end. And so you reprise back into Broken, as Tiara was mentioning. So you kind of go back to the previous song, which they had split in half, and they kind of bookended around Head Over Heels. So I'll put those two together. While Broken Reprise is not listed on a lot of the albums, it's basically a song at the end. The single for Head Over Heels stops at the end of the Head Over Heels part. It doesn't include that broken part. But now you hear it sometimes on on Sirius XM, you know, on the 80s channel. They'll play uh, the whole bit. So, I was just going to say, this is yeah, obviously another big hit. 
And I like this one for the most part. It got overplayed, but it's been a while since I heard it. <laughs> I like the broken reprise. It gives the song more context because, again, you know, you get broken and you get the theme. It introduces it and then you get the bookend on the backside. It just, it gives the whole thing more context to me. And I felt, ah, I wish they like, I wish the whole thing had been like what they had released. Cause then it would have been like, this kind of goes on a journey. It, it, it takes you a little, it, it's not as, it's not as obvious as head over heels, right? That's the single and that's what we got. But like when you listen to the album and you listen to broken head over heels and then the reprise at the end, it's like, oh, okay. I get this whole thing now. And I actually really like that. But the masses need pop candy. Yeah. And real quick, TR, just now that I know what point you're making, my last comment, as I said it, so basically, the re-recorded Broken, they re-recorded Broken, it split into two, sandwich in head over heels between the two parts. This is very, and all caps, prog. And while they're not prog, they have that proggy pop thing going on a little bit because they don't have the traditional bubblegum pop true choruses well the fact that they did that with this i i think kind of does set them apart a little and it foreshadows what's coming up on the subsequent albums where they definitely get kind of proggy and kind of beatlesque almost on, on their stuff i love this one i think i prefer their airy british pop compared to when they get fancy but dang these hooks You get lucky if you write one hook of this caliber in your life and they have at least three on this album. So this is epic. And they have a knack for creating memorable lyrics in their choruses. So all those three songs shout, everybody wants to rule the world and head over heels. I remember all those choruses. I can't remember lyrics from any songs. I I just, I'm terrible at it. I remember all of them. So, Mm -hmm. all right. So the final song, this is my least favorite song on the album. I there's not much to say. It's called Listen. It, it ends, it's a kind of a synth pop meets experimental type song. It's got this ethereal feel to it with some of the guitar work, their melodic guitars and these quiet synths and piano. I don't know if you guys will like this because it's similar to, I believe, this time Kurt Smith actually sings a song. There's kind of some operatic vocal arrangements towards the end of the song. It, for me, it didn't do too much. It's kind of a weird ending. I almost wish that they had written a different song on the album and end it with the reprise of um, Broken with the crowd cheering at the end. That would have been kind of a cool way to end the album from me, from my perspective. Yeah, I agree with you, John. This song really lets the album down to me. This had a Phil Collins kind of sounding beginning. Ouch. Uh, the riff re- the, yeah, the riff reminded me of Against All Odds. Oh, I love um, that song. What are you talking about? Dun, 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 dun. That's kind of like what this riff was almost. But it's not as, it's, the tempo's not the same. No, it's a little no, slower on this. No, it's very, yeah, it's definitely slower. But that's that was the kind of vibe I got from it. And yeah. this song didn't do a lot for me, and it didn't seem to go anywhere. And the super high vocals at the end were just grating to me. It was trying to be soulful, but not really getting there. This just seemed like background music for a Miami Vice episode. So I just, I, <laughs> yeah, I don't I disagree just, with that. I couldn't, that couldn't do it, you know. I'm going there too. Yeah, it's just a <laughs> weird ending to the album. Yeah. I said they're closing on another ballad. 
The music is kind of interesting, mm-hmm. but honestly, yeah, I like the music actually, yeah, and honestly, this sounds like it should be an intro track to the album, not a closer. And maybe like it's been on every '80s soundtrack ever. <laughs> Specifically, maybe a brooding lethal weapon sequence. <laughs> you know, Mel Gibson's my girlfriend is at the bottom of the pier and those cougarans. Oh, those cougarans. And, you know, wow. and that's just, the music they're playing. I just can't picture Daniel, you know, singing like to this song, but singing, you know, I'm too old for this <laughs> shit. You know, I just, can't, I just can't picture that. I can't sing to save my life. But... He only had three more days till retirement. Yeah. <laughs> And you know, he was only like 48 when he filmed that too, by the way. <laughs> Shut up. So yeah, I agree with you guys on this. This one didn't do it for me. Where, whereas I, I do like, I believe, I know you guys don't, that was a shorter song. So maybe that's why it worked better for me, but it almost feels like this could have been two minutes and could have led into another song kind of like broken, led into head over heels. So I, I agree, Terry, you summed it up. It is a little bit of a letdown because yeah. you just did this, epic prog-esque seven and a half minute three-part song um yeah yeah. i mean but while i'm not wild about every song on the album i'm a big fan of tears for fears the band and i think they've got a lot of good stuff so you know i like what i like i don't have to like it all oh of course not but i'll say overall i i like this album the last song lets it down a little but the other songs are pretty strong and enjoyable like you know i'd never listened to this album john so i really appreciate you picking it because Again, it was one that it turned out I was actually familiar with a lot of it. I know. Isn't that crazy? Um, yeah, that was a kind of a big surprise to me because I really, you know, when I thought of Tears for Fears, obviously, you know, it's, oh, yeah, I remember that tune. And then you hear another one, and you're like, oh, yeah, I remember that. And it's, next thing you know, it's like half the album's gone, and you're like, I know all these songs. <laughs> so, yeah. so that was kind of a surprise, but. Yeah, I don't know. I I mean, I don't know how much I would reach for it, but overall, I enjoyed listening to it. And I, you know, I listened to it multiple times in preparation for this. But yeah, I thought it was pretty, pretty decent. Yeah, and I'll say it one last time. I've kind of beat it over like a dead horse a little bit, but it really is not the album you think when you think of just like shouting, everybody wants to rule the world. I mean, there's, yeah, it kind of goes in a lot of different directions and it's not... If I thought about this album in the 80s, I would think every song sounded like everybody wants to rule the world. Yeah. And boy, I would be 100% wrong. But it it does epitomize the 80s. It does. I agree. It does. And that's why it reminded me of all those movies, I think. uh All right. The final album of this episode is the album I'm bringing to the table, which is Mars Volta, Deloused in the Comatorium. This album was released on June 24th, 2003. So it's recent. First... Yeah. How about that? Right? Weird. Only it's 20 like years 20... ago. Yeah, it's hard to weird. believe. I'll tell you what, it sounds fresh as the day it came out. This, this is first full-length album by this band, led by vocalist and lyricist Cedric Bixler-Zavala and guitarist Omar Rodriguez-Lopez, who had previously been part of the post-hardcore band At The Drive-In. Deloused is an hour-long concept album that is an intense mix of numerous musical styles and has been classified as progressive and art rock. The lyrics tell the story of Serpent Taxed, and when the album first came out, you could send away for a lyric book from the independent record company that released the album, Gold Standard Laboratories. 
The story is supposed to be somewhat inspired by the death of Bixler Zavala's friend, Julio Venegas, who died in 1996. The lyric book has the entire story, along with the lyrics from each of the songs on the album. Written by Bixler Zavala with some input from band member Jeremy Ward, the tale is hard to follow and is nearly incomprehensible due to Bixler Zavala's made-up words and use of words that give a visual or sound impression but don't necessarily make any sense. It, it actually reminds me of early Yes, where John Anderson would put words together that sounded good but didn't make any sense together. <laughs> Yours is no disgrace, right? Battleships confide in me and tell me where you are. Shining, flying, purple wolfhound, show me where you are. Okay, <sighs> what does that mean? It doesn't matter because it sounds cool, right? So the music is intense and energetic throughout, but the but the band employs dynamics for ebbs and flows in the album. So this is a band that I've tried listening to a few times in the past and just never got into. So I was hoping that maybe this time would be the time I get the band. Will I? We'll mm. see. <laughs> John. Never have listened to a full song from this band until I put this album on two weeks ago. Never. Never and have I me, ever. Okay. And every time I saw pictures of them, I just said, dude, when did MC5 come back? Uh. <laughs> if you don't know what I mean by that, go look at some live footage of MC5 and they used to play those outdoor shows. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of hair. I think yeah. I saw them once. They opened for Soundgarden. Really? MC5 open for them? No, oh. Mars Volta. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. I didn't know those guys were around. Yeah. So I have an, a definitely a different take on this band. I never got the hype behind the band when, and I just never ventured into it. So I'm glad I got a chance to listen to it, but I'll save all my comments, you know, for each song. Yeah. Okay. I just can't wait for TR to actually pronounce these songs. Yeah. The first <laughs> song is Son et Lumière. Whoa! which is French for sound and light. This short tune sets the stage with a fade-in of guitar going back and forth between two notes, a vocal melody, and a highly syncopated drum riff. It launches right into the next song, which we'll cover in a moment, but I don't know if you guys had any thoughts about this little tiny intro piece. So I said that the production on this album is quite a bit better than the previous two albums, but... That's because this is about 20 years newer. Hmm. So I'm digging the music for this. And it was at this point as I was typing that I realized that this is really just an intro track for the next song. So they skipped it and went right to two. No, no, I listened. <laughs> I listened. Well, there's not much to hear. I mean, it's only no. like a couple of minutes. So yeah. it, it's not even that. I think it's. Yeah, point. it's a minute and a half. Maybe. I don't know. So, so yeah, okay, it, go ahead. Are you done, George? I am. Oh, okay. Yeah. This, this track didn't do anything for me at all because it's an intro track and it's just a buildup and yeah. it's no different than the following song. And I'll be honest, I didn't even realize that the second song had started because I thought it was still the same song. I right. Same. Yeah. Yeah. And I understand why they broke it up. So this to me is the broken and head over heels of this album <laughs> because these yeah. two songs really could just be one song, but I actually, that's a good point. Yeah. Why they would break it up because the next song was the, was the big single from the album or the song well, that everyone it was, talks yeah. about. Yeah, this is one of the big ones and it's inertiatic ESP. Hmm. This song has soaring vocals, intense guitar parts and electric piano keyboard riffs. 
immediately this does not sound like anything I had ever heard before. It's progressive in that it doesn't conform to typical songwriting norms. The lyrics don't make sense, but they are sung with such conviction that it doesn't matter. After the initial part of the song, it, it, it chills out a little and musically goes on a journey with backwards masked guitars and odd sounds. So in the past, the vocals were always the thing I couldn't wrap my ears around. And right away, I remembered why. But what's interesting is that his vocals also remind me of my chemical romance. And while I'm not what I would call a big fan of my chemical romance, I do really love their album, the black parade. So maybe the vocal connection I'm making between these two will help me to acclimate to this guy. I mean, I hate to say it, but in the olden times back in the day, I didn't like rush because of Getty. So things change. Okay. So the music on this track is pretty banging. And at this point, I was starting to wonder if maybe I'd been giving these guys a bad rap. So we'll see. All right. Now, don't hate me, TR. Okay. I'm not a big fan of his vocals at all. Now, Uh I I do point out where I do think he does a nice job, but it's a little much for me. It's too much. Yeah. But I listened to this album four times. So I I actually, this album has gotten more listens than any album we've done up to this point. Wow. Because I didn't know the music. And it... This album takes more than a couple listens to start to recognize. (laughs) No, that's an understatement, dude, because, yeah, you're right. No, to recognize the music, meaning to to finally absorb it so that when you hear it, you're like, ah, I remember this part from the last time I listened. Um, So the opening track, it's got this punk punchy mix of alternative, psychedelic, and uh, almost hardcore rock going on. There's a lot. So the guitars are jagged and very kind of hardcore sounding, but then... These keyboards in the background are kind of this cool psychedelic sound, which is what I did like about the album. The part that I don't like about this band, and it happens in this song, actually, even though the song is short, there's way too much wasted space on this album for me. So a lot of the songs have these long outros of just noise. Mm. And I'd rather have those clipped off as tracks than to be on the songs, to be honest with you. Because... I get a little lost on albums. It's not just them. I get lost in albums when there's about a minute and a half of just slow fade out and noise. Yeah. This song it's short, but there's a few other songs where I'm like, yeah. damn. Mm. If it was Eddie so, Van Halen playing it out, you'd be all right with that. That would be different. This is so <laughs> the, you're John, I I totally get what you're saying because there are a number of songs on this album where they degenerate into kind of sound manipulation and beats and strange peculiar you know, noises and, and, you know, while you might think it's a lot on this album, it even, it it permeates their subsequent albums to the point where I couldn't even stand it myself. (laughs) So, so, so yeah, that, that'll be a, a topic for, you know, another time, but, or later on this, in this segment, but yeah. So yeah, I get where you're coming from on that. Yeah. It's not as bad on this song because the song is short, but it starts with this song. <laughs> yeah. So. Yep. So the next tune is called Roulette Dares, The Haunt Of. And this is a somewhat frenetic tune to start, but then mellows out with uh, beautiful melodies, heavy use of dynamics, and then a semi-psychedelic midsection. And parts of this are just epic. 
and then it chills out again and builds again and then it ends lightly and this tune makes use of the term exoskeletal yes thank you i <laughs> clipped my note to the wrong song but thank you for pointing that out so i'll just since i'm already talking yeah this is one of the songs i ended up liking a lot and this actually part of the album i liked a lot right in here and i agree with you it does have that frenetic part but then they go into this really kind of cool ebb and flow type of jam they seem to have controlled jamming that goes on during some of the longer songs which is kind of neat it's almost like santana meets like modern or postmodern rock in a sense because yeah. there's this cool latin vibe to some of the songs with the percussion and i'm not mocking them when i say that about santana I'm not a Santana fan, but I do like when he would go in these long kind of not blown out, but drawn out jams, you know, Greg Raleigh playing these cool keyboards and they're kind of swirly psychedelic keyboards. They do that here in some of these songs, yep. but then they add this kind of jagged edge to the actual music and the guitar playing. Sometimes the guitar tones get a little bit for me after a while because it's the same tone, but mm. it's still kind of cool. And this one definitely after the third listen, I was like, okay, I this is a song I like on the album, uh, which I thought was cool. And I, I do the ebb and flow of heavy, fast, slow, kind of cool melody type thing they do. So I said, as we arrive at track three, <clears throat> I'm honestly surprised that TR likes this band. <laughs> <laughs> this seems like it should be outside your comfort zone in some ways because it's just so crazy. <laughs> but then I'm like, it's kind of proggy too. So, okay. Yeah. <laughs> My Chemical Progmance. <laughs> this is a cool tune and it definitely veers off into some avant weird stuff. But musically, this is definitely cool. Especially when you listen on Heavy's headphones. Heavies.com. This kind of feels like two songs in one. I feel like the end is far from where the song began, which mm -hmm. I think is probably another way of saying what John said is the outro is yeah. really long. <laughs> yeah clip that last 15 to 20 seconds off <laughs> okay george i'm looking forward to whenever you pick a my chemical romance album because honestly i've never listened to them so i have no idea what the, <laughs> what you're talking about <laughs> damn it TR, you just screwed me yeah i'm sorry dude but john don't you agree that he kind of sounds like him yeah i think the guy as i told you from my chemical romance is a smoother singer. i think he's a better singer and he, but he has that high, like, he does. Yes. so you should um, listen to them, TR. Yeah, maybe so. Okay. Just, the, yeah. just the Black Parade. That's the only good album. Everything else is garbage. Yeah. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. They got the power punk well, kind of so emo thing going a little bit. No, little they're bit. definitely emo. Um, yeah. But the Black Parade is different because it's sort of a classic rock, punk, rock, cabaret hmm thing because it's a concept yeah. album and so it's if they haven't yet it really should be a, a broadway show because it plays out like it the songs they have a more punk rock emo but it, it but it, to me it's pink floyd the wall meets green day's american idiot <laughs> got the punk okay the green day punk but the storytelling of the wall yeah george okay. is that where they uh were wearing those outfits with the they remind me of like modern day Beatles outfits or something like Maybe. Sergeant Peppers. 
And he, is that where he cut his hair and went like bleach blonde? Yeah. Real short. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's what I thought. And it's an, you know, I didn't like the stuff before it. I didn't like the stuff after it, but that particular album is mm. amazing. No, well, really is like good. It, make us listen to it. I, yeah. maybe I will. Mm-hmm. The next song is Tirame a las Arañas, which is Throw Me to the Spiders. It's a short instrumental odd guitar piece that essentially serves as an intro to the next song. Hmm. Yeah, it, it, it does. Yeah. It, it's kind of like one of those interstitial Jethro Tull songs. <laughs> it sounds nothing like the Jethro Tull songs, but it's just a, a little thing to put in between the other I, song. That's funny you said that because I said it reminds me of when Porcupine Tree on the 90s stuff would put those little interludes in between songs to tie them so they'd have a theme, but they right. were, didn't do much. They just... Yeah, it was just to, to yeah. not have silence in between. <laughs> and to connect the songs together. So, yeah, I mean, I dislike it, but it, there's not much happening. It's, yeah. you know, it just, some it's noise, a setup, some really. guitar work and everything. Yeah. I wrote twice as much as the infamous Spinal Tap review, I wrote four words. <laughs> Here it comes. Psychedelic cowboy filler track. <laughs> <laughs> Who said that? <laughs> you can't, you can't that. say that. You can't say that. That's just nitpicking. It's nitpicking. <laughs> All right. The next song that it introduces is Drunk Ship of Lanterns. This song initially has an early Santana feel to it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah acrobatic vocals, almost funky Latin jazz rock. It's got atypical guitar work that borders on atonal, but they keep it together, searing, driving guitar tones at the end, and it degenerates into sound manipulation and a beat, Um, which again, John, I understand how, you know, okay, do we really need that part at the end? But the rest of it is really, I think, pretty cool. Agreed. This is my favorite song in the album. And my right first line, right away, it feels like early Santana meets psychedelia meets the 2000s alternative sound. Yeah, the vocals still not working for me on this, but I love the to- guitar tones. It I like that kind of deserty sound, that little stoner rock thing he does just a little bit. Mm-hmm. But then it, it goes into different areas. I love the mix a lot in music. The, and I don't want to call it a psychedelic album, but they do some kind of psychedelic thing. Oh, yeah. It and, gets sprinkled in. Yeah. And it's, this is not prog with a capital P. This is prog with a lowercase P, which means it's, like you said, Tara, progressive in that they're doing stuff that is moving forward in their sound that nobody else is doing. Not right. traditional progressive. So don't get mixed up in that. I agree that the jam from four and a half minutes to just when the noise starts at six, it's the best part of the album. Mm. I think it's really cool. I loved it. I love their controlled jamming. <laughs> which mm-hmm. usually when you listen to seventies bands and they're jamming, they're high and they're just on stage. It's like, <laughs> you know, like that. It's like, all right, hippie jam fest, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> so yeah, I like when they jam. Yeah. I said, okay, this song is pretty weird. And that's actually endearing to me. <laughs> okay. By now I've accepted the vocals for what they are. And the music is just so bizarre that I can't not like it. What wow. I don't get so far is how popular this band seemed to be when this album came out. I saw it everywhere. Yet, that to me, huge. this is not music I would expect the masses to fall in line behind. So I'm curious about that. But anyway, I think it's a really cool track. 
and I love all the many things going on throughout this. They were a Rolling Stone band, weren't they? Probably. When this came out? I wouldn't doubt it, but I don't remember for sure. I just remember it was a huge splash when it came mm. out. The first and, two albums were. And the critics really loved it. And I can see why, because, I mean, this came out. I just remember, you know, hearing this and getting my mind blown. Like, just, I'd never heard anything like this. But all. Joe Schmo on the street ain't going to get it. I agree with you, George, because honestly, so there there are parts of these songs where it does there is like a almost a pop aspect of the way he's singing and the lyrics and the, the you know the melodic nature of parts of these songs. It it draws you in and you get, you know, you get kind of sucked in on it. But overall, but, there's no radio hits here. No, and not only that, but there's nothing to sing along with, you know. Yeah. Exoskeletal junction at the railroad delayed i mean what does what the hell does that mean and that's just, actually the only part you can remember to sing or but i mean even if you like <laughs> sounds like I, a voivod lyric i sent you guys really this, i sent you guys the so i actually did send away for that lyric book back in 2003 and actually that lyric book so i sent you guys a pdf that huh? they actually published later the lyric book is actually like really hard to find now and is, is a is a big collectible to Mars Volta fans. But I remember receiving that book from Gold Standard Laboratories and looking at those lyrics and looking at the story that went with it. And in some ways it I mean, there's no, you want a connection, John. This reminded me of 2112 in that <laughs> if you got the if you got the gatefold album of 2112 there were passages in between the songs that told the story of what was going on in 2112. And, and it was more than just the lyrics of the songs. There was, there was a storyline that, that went through that, you know, that the whole side a of that album and this Mars Volta lyric book had this story of serpent taxed as he's going through whatever and in, interspersed throughout this story were these lyrics to the songs, which, as I said, I sent you guys the PDF to that. Uh-huh. But when you look at, first of all, when you read any of it, it's so hard to read because it, it, these words, like some of the words are made up. <laughs> some of the words don't even exist. Some of the words like don't make sense in the context that they're used, but it all kind of has a feel and a vibe to it that that kind of transcends all that because of the way he delivers it and the way that it's it marries up to the music. And so uh, it, it's hard to explain, but it was such a phenomenon when this album came out that I, you know, I was instantly drawn to this. I like the guy's lyrics. I like the guy's like sound. I liked his vocals. I know you guys, you know, it sounds like you, you kind of, it was like, that was a little hard for you guys. It's so funny to me because like, there have been things that we've all listened to where you guys have liked the vocals. And I just was like, eh, I can't, no, I can't <laughs> abide. But yet like with this one, I just, I love like the, his high vocals because I feel like they, they, I don't know. I, I think he sounds great. It's probably um, just a, an acquired it's, taste. Yeah, like so exactly. many things. I think it's, a, it's like a personal preference thing. Because the music is amazing. Hands down. Yeah. yeah. We all right. hear, we all hear things differently. So, yeah. So just quick sidebar, pulled out my 2112. Yes. I see that. I have not left the cave for days now. <laughs> that's the first, <laughs> that's the first kind of 
story I saw. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to go back and read this again. Yeah, you better read that again because I, that was. I'll tell you what, John. That when I got that gatefold of twenty one twelve, and discovered that there was like this whole story that I didn't know. Oh, yeah. I, I just remember it was revelatory. There's this whole story that like, you know, yeah, you can listen to the, all the lyrics, but there's this whole other thing that was written that, you know, if you didn't have this gatefold record, you wouldn't even know about it. So I would just remember getting that and thinking, man, this is like a whole nother story. Like that the whole backs up the whole lyrics. It was, uh, yeah. That Does was... it explain about the intergalactic police at the end? <laughs> it's the, <laughs> the intergalactic the galactic, police. It's the galactic empire. Okay. Yeah, whatever. I, I was looking for the lyrics, but I couldn't find it. So, well, And it has the greatest back cover photo ever. Oh, no. Don't break out the kimonos. Oh, I'm not talking about the kimonos. Oh, okay. Good. All right, I guess we better get back on track here because (laughs) all of our 20 or 30 listeners are probably thinking, when are we going to get back to the story? Um, Well, if they're Metalheads podcast listeners as well, they know that it will get there eventually. Yes, they're patient and loving. They've gotten crazy, yeah. We appreciate that. Okay, so the next track is called Ariatarka. This is another song with beautiful melodies and guitar sound effects, shimmering tones, it gets going and sounds somewhat frenetic again, and it definitely takes you on a journey. Alternately intense and chilled out, John Theodore's drumming on this this song and this album is crisp throughout. The guitars are used to paint a sound palette, and it ends with sounds that transition to the next song. Yeah, I like this song too. I like the nice slowdown with the quieter vocals, the swirly kind of psychedelic guitars. This is ethereal feel to it first it builds into a nice heavy section i think his vocals are better on this song this is where i can the level i can take him and i wish he had sang a little bit more like this although i realize their songs are more frenetic and require a different thing from him when he sings but yeah this one grew on me but i'm gonna keep complaining about it (laughs) kill that last 30 seconds i mean it's cool once in a while but when it's every song it just, it's a vibe for me personally. People might like that. It's a vibe killer for me, just me. So, so I said, there's a cool guitar intro. <clears throat> it's a little trippy sounding, but so far, this might be the most quote unquote normal track. Still weird, but, <laughs> but it's a good weird. And suddenly we make an accidental right turn into a whole lot of love. Mm. We're back. I don't know what that was, but you know, I was expecting, hi, 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 hi. Yeah. So there is like a, there is a Zeppelin element to this, um, in this album. So yeah, I, I can hear that. I know what you're talking about there. All right. The next tune is Cicatrice ESP. It's the longest song on the album. It's another epic track, uh, with a trippy guitar jam, a chilled out section, and then the quiet guitar sound effects section, then into a Santana style jam. I've defected. To which country? That's the main lyric. I've defected. Oh, thought you just, were leaving just, us for another podcast. No, I'm not defecting. I'm just <laughs> I've defected is the is the main lyric that you might remember from this song. Okay. Uh, do you have any more to say about it? Nope, that's about it. Oh, okay. I mean, it is the longest song, and it is like a, you know, they kind of do that cool Santana-style jam at the end. Yes. This was the first song at this point in the album where I'm like, okay, I've heard this before on the album. 
So it didn't grab me as much early on in the song. I was like, eh, been there, done that. But I agree. It, when you get to that Santana-esque type, and almost Zappa-esque too a little bit, hmm. you know, because I know that Zappa was an influence on the band a little. It had, It's a nice mix of that. I uh, That's when I like them the most. But sorry, going to complain again. Then we get to six minutes in the song, and let's just kill the vibe of the song for three minutes or whatever it is or two minutes or whatever of just noise because i'm like go back to the jam or yeah. at least go back to the main part of the song at the beginning because i thought they did a really nice job of, of tying in back to the main you know structure of the song and so to me it really it just gets a little too artsy for me and don't get me wrong i love my pretentious artsy rock <laughs> i will not i <laughs> snobby about that stuff oh it's coming yeah i'm sure i just feel like the song at nine minutes would have been more epic to me than at 12 because mm-hmm. even though i wasn't so big on the the beginning part of the song it, it is a big huge song on the album in terms of how you feel when you listen to it and so get rid of that noise or lack thereof noise <laughs> So this music is really difficult to try to explain to someone that hasn't heard it. There's so much going on and so many changes and there's just no basis for comparison that comes to mind for me. But this is epic and makes one almost, it almost makes sense of Supper's Ready. (laughs) Just kidding. I think this one makes a little more sense. What? Um, What? There's no flower in the south. No. The guitar playing. Even TR draws a line there. (laughs) (laughs) That was just a jab for fun. Um, The guitar playing and other musical bits are really cool. In the middle, we veer back into Whole Lot of Love again. Slight (laughs) return. Mm -hmm. I see what they're doing here. They built in a bathroom break for people at their shows. (laughs) A few minutes of ambient sounds while people relieve themselves and then back to rocking out. (laughs) See, that's what you should have done, John. Just, yeah. No, you can trip to the bathroom and then come back. No, I'll tell you why. Because <laughs> you've got these cool Latin vibes on the album, and I want to hear more of that. It, yeah. That's like their prescription for the album is not cowbell. cowbell it's, it's Latin vibes. Yeah, and they do a nice job of mixing old style music from the seventies with new style music from modern two thousands, mm-hmm. and and I want more of that personally. I want so. I like the weird Zappa-esque stuff they do that's mixed in with the Santana cool vibes, you know, and then add all this crazy jagged guitar sounds. That's what I want. Yeah. I don't want for two minutes. Yeah. No, that's I get just it. Me. Just me. I agree. Me. No, I, and I'm with you on that. So moving on, we go to this apparatus must be unearthed. Which is the easiest title of any song on the album. Perhaps, yes. Yeah. <laughs> It's another frenetic tune with good use of dynamics, uh, unconventional guitar passages. It's got backwards masked drums at the end. Kind of like Def Leppard. What? Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, that's a fair comment. Nice. Yep. Just a very strange piece here. Oh, yeah. This one didn't do so much for me as, as much. What I got from this song is that here we go. Another band tie-in, although this one's a little closer. They remind me of Catatonia a little bit on this song, in the, in the song structure. Catatonia's always got those big, 
beefy parts and then they go into these real kind of somber quiet like dub parts you know and, and i just just am i saying that's what it is it just reminded right. me of that that's um, interesting i had not thought of that but they do that a little bit they do. that's not uncommon for a lot of bands do that yeah i thought the guitar solo in the midsection had an interesting kind of avant-garde feel to it which was kind of cool you know again i'm going to complain about wasting time but you know, is it all? this this one didn't get me as much. Yeah, I liked parts of it. I, excuse me, I have to get into the right voice. This is a long album. Fatigue starting to set in. <laughs> it continues to rock, but there is so much going on in this album. It's getting difficult to focus. Nice dissonant guitar bit towards the middle, though. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of interesting parts on this album. I hope they saved some for the second album. All right. We're getting toward the end, George. And the, the second to last song is called Televators. Starts like quiet. Yeah. It starts quietly. It's got a beautiful melody. It's kind of got absurd lyrics, but again, they're sung with great conviction. It's got congas and other percussion and layers of vocal melodies call and response interstitial sounds to bridge into the final song. I said bird sounds, a little sanity break, refreshing. I like the laid back feel of the first few minutes. Will it last? It did. This is probably the closest thing to a normal song so far. <laughs> it was nice. <laughs> yeah, I said similar. I said this is not a ballad, but it's the closest thing to that song structure, which probably just means it's the closest thing to a non-frenetic song on the album. Yeah. Yeah, and while again, I'll bet you about the time at the end, that's kind of noise. It does tie into the song coming up. So, yeah, I could live with that here. So that leads us into the final song called Take the Veil Serpentaxed. And again, you get atypical guitar lines. You get a swinging beat and catchy riffs, great energy. And then it gets really quiet. And then a strangely picked guitar section leads to an odd computerized sounding onslaught that goes into a really cool 70s groove jam. I like Ike Owens' keyboards here. And throughout the album, the song launches back into an earlier theme and then ends with another syncopated staccato drum driven riff. Yeah. I, I like how they got punchy and punky again at the end a little bit. This is the, why I keep bringing up the MC five. This is the song that reminds me of a modern version of that band. Uh-huh. If you don't know MC five, you're going to check out like kick out the jams. It's got that kind of attitude. That's what I mean when I, reference mm-hmm. mc5 mm-hmm. um yeah i kind of like the kind of cool proggy technical playing there at the middle of the song which is the first time on the album where i'm actually saying oh it's proggy to me and in, in terms of old like capital p prog more mm-hmm. so than lowercase p yeah the instrumental section's great i love the, the psychedelic vibe the guitar work is nice love the the latin vibes again and the percussion and i like how the song kind of ends the way the album actually starts, which is this kind of, it picks back up with that frenetic part at the beginning at the end, which is, I think, kind of appropriate after you just got taken on this wild roller coaster ride of music. I said the beginning guitars sound like Voivod forgot to bring their distortion pedals to the studio. 
<laughs> All sorts of weird chords and stuff is the point. But yeah, it's cool. I like it. That's all I got. Okay, overall, I love this album because there are so many cool things happening and all the musicians on it are playing at a high level and you get Flea on bass. In my opinion, the band's subsequent albums wouldn't surpass this one. They got even more experimental and weird on some of them and John, that those weird kind of passages of weird sounds and strange tones that they would do kind of even became more prevalent on some of the songs on the, you know, following albums. Now were uh, those songs more like that? Meaning they were kind yeah, of all so, noisy. Yes, exactly. So the next album called Francis, the mute had a song called Francis, the mute that was like 20 minutes long. Huh. And Unfortunately, and because they didn't, they actually didn't have time on the album to put that song, Francis the Mute. The song that was the album was named for didn't get onto the album. It was released as a, a B side to a single that they put out from that album. And wow. I later took that song and made it into two edits because there was so much noise and kind of just wasted time on on the song that it it's it was John just feels validated yeah it, i will tell you like you take all that stuff out and now you've got some really cool songs and uh rick rubin produced huh. this album deloused in the comatorium and uh if you read a little bit about it they said well you know he kind of simple he wanted us to simplify things and you know he kind of you know changed the way we wanted it to be. But I think I, I think right that thing. he did the right thing. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. he, he, you know, he, I don't know. They have put out. So Mars Volta has put out their demos for this album and they do sound different. They sound pretty close in a lot of ways, but to me, like what Rick Rubin did and, 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 and that's another guy that's just amazing to me. Like Rick Rubin <laughs> is a guy that like has a great beard. He does. And, but he also understands, he understands music and he understands artists and he understands how to get the best out of an artist, I think, and how to crystallize what that artist is about and help them to achieve a sound that is uniquely them. And so, so anyway, I, I think it's an interesting pairing because, you know, this band and him, it, it's just kind of, <laughs> it's pretty interesting. And then, you know, just to finish it off, I, you know, I, they were outstanding live. I saw them on the D Laos tour at the 930 club in DC. And then again in 2005, 2006 and 2009, I also like the fact that they had Storm Thurgeson artwork on their albums, which kind of, you know, was gave it a kind of a Pink Floyd feel because, you know, he did a lot of the art for the Pink Floyd albums. And so you get that kind of vibe from the art to include the singles that they released for some of their albums because he did the, the artwork for that as well. Was that like hypnosis? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I'm glad that you picked this, although probably not an album I'll reach for 
and I don't know if I'll venture to their other stuff, but I did some of the songs as I started to listen more, I got what they were doing musically, not big on the vocals so much. Here's where I'll confuse you guys and maybe the listeners. I actually am more interested in listening to those other albums to hear what the noise sounds like than I am with the noise on this album. Cause I do listen to a lot of ambient and dark ambient music, experimental stuff, but that's what that is. Yeah. I'm already expecting that. You don't want so, it as a byproduct. Yeah. And so I hate to bitch about it so much cause I did, but it just, because I was really digging on them. Yeah, I, so I would like to now, right? Yeah. I, and I watched some of their live stuff and when they did jam out, I was like, this is cool. I like this. And so yeah. that's what I wanted to hear more of. And that's just a personal preference. Some people might like that, but I'm glad I got the chance to listen to it because I'd never listened to them before. And now I don't know how much I'll venture. I mean, I know that their two big albums are their first two in terms of how people rate them and what they like. Yeah. So yeah. I might venture some more. We'll see. But I'm glad you picked it. Thank you. Yeah. Cool. Definitely thank you for making me listen to this. <laughs> okay fine fine i'll say it i like mars volta what at least for this album okay <laughs> that's fair is the rest of their stuff good that was my partings was like so should i, keep I will going? say because i want to listen to more at this point yeah so i what i would do george is i would go and listen to some of the singles from the following album they had singles they did have singles <laughs> and actually some of them like there's a song called the widow Wax Simulacra. There were, you know, a few songs that were actually kind of focused and I don't want to call them pop, but, you know, a lot more kind of uh, normal, Structure. traditional. Yeah, exactly. Where you can kind of get the feel, but it, it still had the flavor of what you hear on this album. So there are some tracks out there that you probably would dig. Excellent. I'll check it out then. Cool. I'm glad you guys at least, you know, appreciated this somewhat. Oh, no. Well, I, I, no. I, you know, musically, I have no problem with it at all. I like it. Yeah, me mm -hmm. too. So, you know, it took a little while to acclimate to the vocals, but after that, I, I mean, the music's cool throughout. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you know, the problem. vocals are always the demarcation line for, for fans. Yeah. Well, yeah. and for all of us, right? You know, we all have what we kind of get drawn toward or things that like, we can't stand and yeah. i think it's kind of funny like how you know each of us kind of has their own thing where it's like oh i love this and the other guys are like yeah i don't know about that <laughs> and, and i don't like how like, high he sings okay bye <laughs> i'm gonna go listen to king diamond now <laughs> yeah exactly nope. nobody said we were consistent no and Absolutely that's the funny not. thing because i'm finding like so so that's the exact thing that John, you hit on a point that I, I feel is like a, is a conundrum for me when we're talking about certain albums where, you know, for example, like we listen to fair warning and you listen to dirty movies and they're hooping it up and it sounds like you're at a strip club, but then, you know, I don't know. War Babies will have some song about, you know, whatever, about the ladies or whatever. And, and Did they that, have a song like, about the ladies? I don't know. I'm sure that there was something in there. But, you <laughs> don't, know. But, don't talk down to my band. I'm not, but I'm saying is what I'm he saying. Meant to is, say still, like, he meant to say Steel Panther, George. Okay, okay yeah, well, exactly. that'll work. That'll work. So, <laughs> but my point is that, like, 
how is it okay for that? You know, for Van Halen dirty movies, but like a similar topic, you know, with another band and now it's not okay. Like yeah. what's, what's, yeah. what's the deal there? Like, why, why is that? Like, why am I suddenly like, Oh, well, I can't accept this because you know, this isn't Van Halen. Wait a minute. It's, it's no different. The, the, the theme and what they're talking about and like the way it's being delivered. Okay. Yeah. Maybe, you know, the guitarist isn't the same or whatever, but like, let's get down to like, what, what is this song about? Right. And yeah, uh-huh. and and there's plenty of stuff like that where, and I'm not just talking about like songs about, you know, you know, misogyny. I, I'm talking like, you know, a number of different themes that, that, you know, may run through rock songs where with one band like that you love, it's okay. But when you listen to some other band, now it's not okay because it's this other band. You know, yeah. and I, I'm trying to focus in on that because I feel as though there is a lot of inconsistency. Don't stop right now. You, I mean, you just nailed mind. it on the head right there. There's a lot of inconsistency, period. You can't, you'll never, yeah. TR, you will never figure it out Yeah, it, when it's, when you're on this level, you can get to, uh, as you're saying this, I'm thinking of black metal because there are certain bands that will absolutely go ballistic over certain things some black metal bands do but boy they like that black metal band that's ah, okay it, it wasn't supposed to be that bad i know that's not the level you're talking about person sucks dissection rules exact yes that's extreme for what you're talking about tr but on the level you're talking don't even waste your time just <laughs> think of yourself as a cat okay a cat okay. has the prerogative to change their mind at any given moment <laughs> My cat left sleeping in the window for three months. Yeah, window sucks now. Now I'm going to go sleep on the floor. Yeah, I know that doesn't make sense, but if you have a cat, cats change their mind all the time, and you don't, you can't understand what they're doing. Why are they doing that? He doesn't like his food this week, but he likes his food next week. That's what our music minds are like. Yeah, it's true. It really is. It just doesn't yeah. make any damn sense. I guess I was just trying to see. Yeah, but I, I don't want you to spend all that time trying to figure it out i appreciate that <laughs> but he's but, gonna do uh, it anyway i yeah. feel like i owe it to the listeners for god's sake <laughs> no they but honestly the, the same problems we have yeah, i know they do <laughs> but you know it's the thing is though is that that's one that's been one of the elements of this journey for me is trying to be objective about the music that i listen to after a lifetime of being completely subjective about it mm-hmm. and being confronted with other bands and other music that, you know, over time or at the time I did not embrace or care for or whatever you want to say. And yet if you hold it up to the same standards and the same, uh, I guess the, whatever things that you, I'm having a hard time, like getting the words out, but the bottom line is, is like you, you build up something in your mind for a certain song or a certain band but then when you get like a similar thing from another band for, for whatever reason, that's unacceptable or it's not the same or you don't, you know, you or it's can't too the that. same. Well, maybe, or right. Yeah. It's, they're just copying those guys. And so, so, you know, as we've gone on and, you know, as we look at these various albums, one of the things that I've really wanted to do is to try to peel some of that back to understand a little bit about that in, in my own understanding of music and my own way of interpreting music. And, and so 
yes, John, it, it leaves a lot more questions than answers, but I feel as though I have to confront this because I feel as though it, it, it really gets down to, and it, you're right, in a lot of ways it's hard to say, okay, why do I get attracted to some particular type of music or a song or an album? You know, why did this Mars Volta album completely knock me over when it came out to the point where I was like, this is incredible. I love this. And it's really amazing. That's kind of a little bit hard to explain, right? Because there's, there are a number of different influences and different elements to that album um, that all came together in such a way that I was, you know, completely entranced by it. But to actually try to put that into words when a lot of it is driven by sounds, impressions, and emotions, it's very difficult to logically try to suss that out to a, to be able to understand uh, what you know what those drivers are in terms of you know in a way that is quantifiable. Um, and maybe it's a fool's errand, but it, it is something that I have been thinking about as we've gone through these albums. When you guys bring up some of this stuff, to to it, as I grapple with the you know what the various albums and music that I like, why is it that way, and what is it about other albums or whatever things that I maybe didn't care for, and can I? can I quantify that? And can I actually determine what the things are that, that drew me toward the albums that I like? And that's what I've been trying to do. And maybe I'm doing a little too much here, but (laughs) I I apologize if I've gone off the deep end. How many stouts did you have tonight? No, you're not going off the deep end, but not at all. You put an awful lot of thought into it and I don't marginalize your thoughts at all and your feelings and your wants and wishes to figure out what's going on. I just feel like you're going to wander off into the desert and we're never going to see you again because you're going <laughs> on to a horse with no out. name. <laughs> you know, it's just, yeah, I've, I've tried to figure that out, but then I start going down the actual scientific approach of like, well, we all hear frequencies different. And I start going down that path. I'm like, I don't even know what I'm talking about. What am I saying? Yeah. We all just, we have preconceived notions that we have a hard time to break. And I agree. I gave up because I was like, yeah, you know what? If you like it, you'll like it. If yeah. you don't like it's, yep. I, this is a question for the Metalheads podcast. Those guys like all these death metal bands. I'm like, yeah, heard it before. And they're like, how could you not like this? And I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. Give, give me another J award, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's not because I don't think it's good. It's just, yeah, I don't know why we don't connect. Who knows? I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's something how our brain connects to the sounds we're hearing. And I'm not being silly when I say that. I, no, that's a very real there, thing. It's a very real thing that we all process the sound waves and the frequencies differently. That's why Pete Pardo, you know, on the Seek Tranquility on YouTube always says, hey, we all hear music differently. It's a, a very watered down way of, of saying the scientific stuff. It's true. Yeah. Arguing about bands is and albums is ridiculous because there's, you know, it's, there's no, you can't, you just can't. Yeah. The only argument you can make is steel Panther sucks. I don't care what anyone says. <laughs> I will bring that up at every podcast I'm on. That's it. After that, we all like what we like. Yeah. I'm, I'm still mad. Judas priest brought them on tour when I saw them. I'm sorry. I'm not letting it go. At least they won't be there next time. 
hell no, we're going to do some World War II rock. Sabaton. Anyway. I've never seen them. Can't yeah. wait. Yeah. They're supposed to be amazing. But anyway, that's... Uh, see, now, Tia, you've ruined my night now because I'm going to start thinking about this. I won't be able to go to sleep. Thanks for nothing. <laughs> Jeez. No good son of... <laughs> that's what I'm here for. No. Now I'm going to have to go play with my cat. Oh, wait, there's another one I can't figure out. <laughs> Your cat? Oh, just don't get me started. Yeah. I want that life so bad. <laughs> I know. I'm going to go sleep in the sun. Eh, I think I'll lick my tail for a while. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Anyway. All right. Here we are at the end of episode seven. Yeah. Next month, we will be back for an episode eight. Yes, I can count. But the point being, it's going to be the last episode of the year. So I guess we'll see what that will be. Maybe we'll, not saying something, but maybe we'll do something. We'll add a little extra, I'm thinking, as a tease. And I'll tell these guys offline. But I'm thinking of something else to do with our episode since it's the end of the year. Oh, yeah. I was doing some thinking, too. So Yeah, just for fun. So... Yeah, this was fun. I, I enjoyed the the diversity of the albums. Yeah, me too. Yeah, that's always a good piece of the episode. So, all right. Thanks for listening. And as John told you at the beginning of the episode, please make yeah. some comments online. Anything Facebook, like, Instagram, whatever. Yeah, John's opinions suck. Oh, cool. Somebody listened. Yeah, but if I said it, it's cool. So listen to me or John, either one of yeah. us. It's cool. Yeah. TR's really got me thinking I spent five weeks trying to figure this out. I don't know what the hell's going on. Why don't I like this music? <laughs> that guy's off the rails. Yeah. <laughs> on a crazy train. That's right. Ooh. All right. Man, diary of a madman. Cheers. Right. All right. All right. We'll see you next time. Rock on. Peace.